why other things are not being able to be achieved. And those that are achieved, uh, it's because of ABCD, because I think they do have that responsibility. And ours, if I've, I've always said, and I will say it, is that uh, it's, it's not them and us. Together we have got the responsibility of ensuring that uh, the mandate that they are given, they are able to carry that out and ask the mandate that we are given as per the constitution of our country, among others, and the rules of parliament is to ensure that we, we conduct our oversight. So what we are doing today, just to remind members, is that it's one of the forms of, of, of ensuring that we conduct that, uh, that oversight. I am fine. Uh, as much as uh, COVID didn't spare me, but not that much. But the after effects, no matter how mild that is, but uh, I hope I'm going to be able to, to, to steer the ship today. In Kabecha, it's, it's so hot that I'm not quite sure whether it's uh, what, what is happening before 12, before 12 o'clock. It's, 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 the temperature is, I don't understand. I'm welcoming everybody, uh, welcoming the minister and, uh, and his deputy, welcoming the, uh, the staff of the portfolio committee, welcoming uh, the staff of the department, obviously led the administrative side, led by the, by the DG. Having said that, I would, uh, our, those were the opening remarks. I don't want us to waste much time. Uh, uh, Mr. Sakaja, can you please take us through the roll call? Thank you, Honorable Chair, and good morning to all my members, uh, the department, the ministry, and uh, my colleagues. Chair, um, first of all, maybe let me just start by saying that uh, we received a uh, an apology from the minister who's attending cabinet and uh, also to mention that uh, the dm deputy minister is present but she um, appears with the name pindwe boko so you might not see her name there chair from the portfolio committee um uh, we've got yourself chair the chairperson of the committee we've got um honorable nonsele honorable makubele honorable Dabe. Honorable Volmarans, Honorable Zuma, Honorable Begram, Honorable Kado, Honorable Ilana, Honorable Mkondo, Honorable Nobo, Honorable Jenner. And from the support staff chair, we've got myself, Posi Antabeni Committee Assistants, Mr. Sbongiseni Nobo, Content Advisor, Mr. Tebuho Mkwena, the researcher, Ms. Tole Luama Bidisa, the executive secretary, and we also have from uh, PMG, Simon Abbott. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Honorable. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mr. Sakaza. Uh, from the, from the, from the uh, ministry department, uh, you, you have said that. Do, do we have any guests? If we do have guests, 
Can guests please introduce themselves? Outside the department and the and the those that are guests, as we will do that when we were physical. Good morning, Chair. Um, it's Honorable Faiz Jacobs. Um, I'm just observing. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you, Honorable Jacobs. Uh, in future, indicate uh, to the committee section that you will be part of us uh, so that when we introduce honorable members, we also introduce you. Can we, are there any other guests? Okay. I see, Chair, the name of Enzo L. That is Linda Enzo. I think she's a journalist from some newspaper. I don't know why she's not mentioning her name. Can she? And who's Jay? Achari. I don't know. Achari. Some, I don't know whether I have from department. I don't know. Can the journalist please introduce himself or herself? Uh, Chair. Uh, Jay Achare is part of the department. Okay. And so this journalist that is refusing to introduce himself or herself. And Sorry, Chair. Sorry, she wrote on the chat that she is unable to unmute herself. Linda, it's Linda Enzo. From which, from which, uh, ask her from which? Independent newspaper. Let me oh. just confirm. Okay. No, that's fine. And Millie Raiders? Department. She's from the department, sir. Oh, okay. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, honorable members. DM? Uh, good, good morning. Good morning, Honorable Chairperson. Good morning, dear. I'm trying to show my face. This gadget is not my gadget. Um, thank you. Just for the sake of Honorable Members to see me, that I'm not a robot. And, uh, I would like, if you agree, Chair, to actually um, uh, close my video. Um, uh, just to advance the, to make sure if you allow chair to for no, me to speak. Thank you so Amen. much. Thank you. Thanks, chair. As already alluded to, the fact that uh, the, the minister has apologized because he is in the cabinet committee of ACID, uh, presenting uh, national migration labor policy. Um, uh, allow me Chair, um, uh, to take this opportunity to to acknowledge and to thank you for allowing me to present on behalf of the minister uh, to give some opening remarks and allow me to acknowledge honorable members of the portfolio committee, our director general, Dr. Tobile Lamati, um, and uh, officials of our department uh, who are part of this session and ladies and gentlemen and guests of this portfolio committee thank you once more for the opportunity chair 
and honorable members. Uh, uh, we must start by actually welcoming your oversight and scrutiny of our department and its entities, uh, because always it keeps us on the straight and narrow. And, and the officials at, at a later stage uh, in just a few moments will also be providing a detailed presentation to Honorable Self. I just need to just to flag uh, just the following points, Honorable Chairperson, in relation to the Compensation Fund Audit Action Plan, uh, that the action plan seeks to address the key focus areas and categories identified by the Auditor General uh, which contributed in the past to uh, disclaimed uh, audit reports. And of course, the plan is only as good as it is as its implementation strategy and the system of detailed monitoring and evaluation that you put in place. So the presentation, honorable members then, it's a report on the detailed monitoring of progress made against uh, stated targets uh, as of 31st of December, 2021, identifying uh, targets completed as well as areas which are still uh, incomplete or in progress. So we want to flag uh, this as an important step forward, the implementation of a system of detailed monitoring. As the management uh, uh, gurus normally say, through uh, open codes, and, uh, 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 if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, close codes. So we need to take one step back, uh, honorable members, and stress that the plan is firmly based on the Auditor General's findings. And, and more than that, uh, at every stage uh, of the planning processes, the department and the fund work closely with the Auditor General, seeking their input and feedback. And indeed, uh, we must say that the AG was very gracious enough to recently acknowledge the positive and cooperative response their office received receives from the department. And we don't think uh, we say this often enough, but the Office of the Auditor General is not necessarily simply a financial policeman. It is also a mentor and an advisor providing valuable guidance uh, to public entities which they are wise to make use of. Uh, with regards to our uh, departmental uh, first quarter performance uh, report for 2021-2022, honorable members, if you look at the bigger picture over time, we would see a gradual quarter on quarter recovery from the disastrous, disastrous uh, quarter one of 2020-2021 performance of 25%. And remember, honorable members, that was when we were hit hard by the full impact of the pandemic and the lockdown. So the incremental increases uh, continue quarter on quarter from 67% performance uh, for the last quarter of 2020-2021 to 73% of the first quarter of 2021-2022. So the quarter, uh, which is actually uh, the presentation covers or the, the, the report that is under review. So these officials, uh, the officials, our officials will provide a detailed breakdown of the performance against targets. Uh, we want just to flag one update to the portfolio committee in terms of progress in releasing the national labor migration policy for public comments. Uh, we had hoped to do this in 2021, if you remember, but cabinet gave us additional uh, tasks to complete. So this has now been done and we will be presenting uh, this to the cabinet committee this morning. This is what the minister is actually doing as we're speaking now. 
So we also need to remind honorable members that the national labor migration policy is only a part of a much bigger or larger project to develop a national employment policy which is currently being finalized. So for now, honorable members, let me take this opportunity once again to thank you, honorable chairperson, for this opportunity that has been given to me to represent the minister. Uh, with the opening remarks. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, DM. Without wasting any time, we then uh, head over to to the DJ to to give us uh, to present their quarterly report, first quarter report. Over to you, DJ. Well, good morning, Chairperson, and the honorable members, and uh, Deputy Minister, and my colleagues. Um, Chair, we, I don't know whether we should continue with the introduction of the delegate or delegation from the department. Um, uh, but I think since it's uh, customary that we, are, we normally do that, I'll first start by doing so, if you allow me, Chair. Yes, um, we have Ms. Um, Moilua, um, who's the Chief Inspector, who's the Inspector General of the Department, and Ms. Bahumi Matebesi, who's the DDG Corporate Services, Mr. Peggy Maduna, who's the Chief Financial Officer of the Department, and Ms. Marsha Bronkost, who's the COO. Um, we have Ms. Boitume Lokumbi from the Compensation Fund, Ms. Fazana Fakir from the Compensation Fund, Mr. Johnny Modipa from the Compensation Fund, Mr. Julian Sopen uh, from the Compensation Fund, Ms. Katla Kholebebe from the Compensation Fund, Mr. Kangala Mzumela, who's the Chief of Staff in the Ministry, Mr. Linda Kota, who's the Active CFO Compensation Fund, and Ms. Mecha Tongwane, uh, who's the uh, Director responsible for ICT in the Compensation Fund. We have uh, Ms. Millerators, also from the Compensation Fund. And we have uh, Ms. Petunia Lessing, who's the, from our communications uh, unit. And we have um, Tindiwe Boko. I know there's also DM uh, behind there. Uh, we have Sabel Omali from the Ministry. And we have Ms. Uh, uh, Achari, uh, that you inquired about, Chair, from Compensation Fund. We have Mr. Kalipi, from the, who's the Acting DDG, Labor Market Policy and Industrial Relations. We have uh, our PLO, uh, Mr. Tando Ababa. And we have the Commissioner of uh, Compensation Fund, Mr. Mafata. And we have Mr. Mweli from DM's office. And we have Karabo Makhakhane from DM's office. And we have Ms. Esther Fwane was representing Mr. Sam Rotoba. Mr. Sam Rotoba is with the minister in, in cabinet. He is presenting the, the national labor migration policy. And we have Matapelo Mataboche from my office. Chair, I'm going to ask the COO to please run through our presentation. Uh, and she will be followed by um, the, I haven't seen the CEO of SCE. Um, but normally he, he, she would have been followed by uh, the CEO of SCE, 
and the CFO will then round up the, the figures in terms of the finances of the, of the department. Thank you, Chair. CEO. Thank you, Director General. Good morning to the Chair and to the members of the Portfolio Committee. I'm going to ask also to stay off camera so that we can share the presentation. And Matapelo will be sharing the presentation with us. Thank you very much for that. Chair, it is a very comprehensive presentation and I don't think time will allow me to go through all 92 slides. So with your approval, I will focus on the salient slides for the presentation. Much or many of the slides that we have attached are for additional information uh, for the committee members and we will deal with possible questions that might arise. So if I can ask that Matapelu just uh, move to slideshow and then move immediately to slide number seven. You will see, and I just wanted to do it for our own sake, the legend that we have, I think Matapelu has disappeared, but the presentation was circulated to members, so I'm going to continue until Matapelu joins us, uh, if that is okay with you, Chairperson. Our legend is that we will only... Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Yes. Is Matepalu not part of the meeting? Yeah, she is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. She was she was introduced by the Director General, Chairperson. Okay, we're back. Thank you. Slide seven. As I was saying, our legend, only if we have achieved 100% and more, then we give it a green, and anything below that stays a red and not achieved. If we move to slide eight, I think the, the Deputy Minister has already alluded in her introductions that for quarter one of this financial year, 21-22, we have achieved 73% of our planned targets. We had a total of 22, and we have achieved 16 of those. It will be explained a little bit more in slide 10 of the presentation. Here, Chairperson and members, you will see how it, uh, it breaks down to the contribution of all the programs. Firstly, Program 1, Administration, they have had an overall achievement in this quarter of 71%. Inspection and Enforcement Services has had an overall achievement of 25%. Public Employment Services, as we are used to by now, has had an overall achievement of 100%. And labor policy industrial relations has had an overall performance of 83%, which brings us then to an aggregate performance of 73% for quarter one. If we move to the next slide, I've done a comparison here to give us a sense of how we performed in quarter four of the 2021 financial year and then against the performance of this first quarter of 21-22. Program 1 administration, you will see that they were lying at a 38% uh, achievement level, and they have managed to raise this up to 71%. Inspection and enforcement services were lying at 50% at the end of quarter four. This has unfortunately gone down to 25%. Public employment services has had a uh, performance of 83%, and they have managed to achieve 100% in quarter one. LP and IR 
has had a performance of 89%, and they also unfortunately had a small decrease to 83%, which takes us then from 67% in quarter four to a performance level of 73% in quarter one. On the next slide, slide 12, we made a graph to give us the members a sense of the achievement over the financial year 2021 and then the first quarter. And you'll see there has always been an increase in performance or improvement in performance. First quarter last year, or 2021 was the first quarter, was the hot lockdown we had. You'll see 25% performance level, followed by 48% in quarter two, 64% in quarter three, and then the two quarters that I have already discussed. On slide 13, I just back one, thank you. I have uh, provided the members, the committee, the performance of the provinces in terms of inspection and enforcement services program two and program three. And here we can see the reflection of the the performance as we saw when I spoke about the program performance, that for, for program two, inspection and enforcement services, the overall performance per province was substantially lower than what we are used to. Eastern Cape, 33%. Free State, also 33%. Gauteng, 67%. KZN, 67%. Mpupu, 67 Kumalanga, 33 Northern Cape 33 and Northwest 67, Western Cape coming in at 33%. For public employment services, all the provinces achieved 100% except for Gauteng and ZN and Western Cape. The first two provinces lying at a 50% and then the Western Cape lying at a 75%. And I know there will be a question as to how then did the branch or the program achieve 100% performance with three provinces not achieving 100%. It is because of the, of the total number of uh, targets or the way the targets were met by the other provinces, they were overachievements, and set against the total target of the program, there was overachievement in the program. So if you will allow me, Chairperson, I'm going to focus on the area of non-achievement for this quarter so that we um, can have discussions around that. The first area for non-achievement is um, on slide 16, and this is a vacancy level, and, and members on this committee will know this is a chronic challenge that we have, and it comes with us from year to year, in fact, from quarter to quarter. So our vacancy rate was lying at 11%. We, we wanted to have it at 3%. And these are as a result of our, <coughs> excuse me, posts, which are mostly lower level posts and that through internal promotions, post levels A below are filled by internal promotions, creating a, uh, creating a vacuum or vacancy again. On slide 18, is the next area of non-performance or underperformance? Let me rather call it that. You will see that we have had a target of 90% of our uh, employment relations cases had to be finalized, and there was only achievement of 51%. This 
due to the fact that the timeframes by the Anti-Fraud and Corruption Unit and the timeframes of the finalization of the Growth Relations cases are not synchronized. They both have 90 days, and, and that automatically leads to the employment relations matters not being analyzed in time. That takes care of the areas of underperformance for the Program 1 administration. If we move to Program 2, Inspection and Enforcement Services, here the area of oh, underperformance is that of inspections, number of workplaces inspected to determine the compliance. And here the target was 74,222, and only 9,278 employers were inspected. Of this, 49,036,589 employers were compliant with But there's a substantial variance of 24, just under 25,000 inspections that could not take place. And the <coughs> The reason this variance was that quite a number of inspectors tested positive for COVID and they could not do their work. And then other inspectors were on mandatory leave and study leave. And then, of course, still the workplaces that were not accessible due to the number of COVID cases in, in, in the workplaces. So the administrative inspections, which the committee will recall, we have embarked on in the beginning of the pandemic. has to be strengthened and more of them to be conducted to make sure that we can achieve numbers of inspections. Also, the inspectors are to be prioritized for vaccinations so that they continue doing their work. And if that should become sick, that the impact is not as serious as it can be. The next area of compliance for the program is on slide 24. Here we've had a 60% that was expected to be referred for prosecution within 35 days. This is of employees that are non-compliant. And only 32.5% could be referred for prosecution. There's a reduced number of enforcement structures, such as the courts that that remain open, and they had an impact on the efficiency of the inspectorate. Uh, there was also a backlog that came in and that that had to be dealt with, <coughs> but could be reported as it fell outside the reporting period of quarter one. So there were quite a number of measures put in place to deal with matters at the court and then also the use of technology in the submission of, of documents. On slide 25, the occupational health and safety seminar that had to take place. This has not been achieved. It was, the seminar was still to be held due to safety regulations in response to the pandemic. The, it was postponed, rescheduled for the 21st of July. And this was because of the, the alert levels of regulations. Some of these things could not take place physically, as was the plan, and had to bring in virtual seminars, etc. Jason, that takes care of Program 2 and the areas of underperformance in Program 2. I would like to move to Program 3 and just give a sense of the work seekers registered here. Although the branch has achieved the indicator, it's a past indicator by four, 
Hunting province has had a challenge in terms of the registration of work seekers. And this is a threat that runs through in terms of the underperformance of the Gauteng province in public services. On the next slide that I would like to talk about is slide 34. And this is the age groups, things registered by age groups. Of the total number of 236,127, 61% or 143,199 were of young people below the age of five. 65% of the work seekers that register are below the age of 35. And I would like to look to this slide a little later when I talk about placement of work seekers. If we can go to the next slide, slide 37. Here we will see that only 0.3% of work seekers that register with the Department of Employment and Labor people with disabilities. It's a very small number of work seekers, and it's it's um, it's of some concern to us that we don't seem to register work seekers with disabilities. On slide 49, here I would like to talk about the employment counseling per age group. You will recall that I said earlier that 61% of people who registered with the department are young people. Here, it is interesting to note that 73% of the people who avail themselves for employment counseling are young people, people below the age of 35. So it would appear as if young people use the service more than people who have settled, if I use the word, in employment or in the years that they follow on a day-to-day basis. On slide 60 is the placement of uh, work seekers per age group. Uh, this is the slide I said I would like to refer to. Although 61% of the people who are registered with the Department of Employment and Labor, the work seekers are youth or young people, 67% of the work seekers who were placed are young people between the ages of 15 and 35%. So this is a small number, or the, the number that of work seekers that are placed for young people are a little bit bigger than the number pro rata to what is being registered with the Department of Employment and Labor. The next slide I would like to focus on is slide 64. Members will remember that this is a new indicator in the uh, annual performance plan department and that we had to conclude a number of partnership agreements with stakeholders make sure that we can contribute to employment creation through uh, inclusive economic growth. On the next slide, I'm unpacking it a little bit more to give you a sense on where we have had partnerships. And though this is an indicator that has been achieved, I thought the information contained in here would be of some interest to the members. First, first collective partner is Kululeni Artisans and Skills Training College in Gauteng, who assisting us or partnering us with the registration of work seekers and placement of registered work seekers. Uh, NSG with the placement of work seekers. This is a national entity or way. The Western Department of Economic Development and Tourism 
Also, the registration of job opportunities, counseling and placement of registered work seekers, right, mostly in the Western Cape, obviously. The Mustard Seed Foundation, the registration of opportunities, placement of registered work seekers. And this happens mostly in Hauteng. And then the Oatambu District Municipality, the registration of works, uh, job opportunities and placement of work seekers. This happens in Western Cape. Then from slide 67 to slide 75, we I, I give you information on the national employment policy, the national labor migration policy, and this information purposes. The Deputy Minister has already alluded to the fact that the Minister and the DDG for Public Employment Services are at Cabinet this morning uh, around these two policies. So we will come and do a detailed briefing on the policies as well as the proposed amendment bill as soon as the cabinet processes have been finalized. But the information was given just for you to have a sense at the end of the one we were working with. So I would now like to move to slide 90, which is labor policy and industrial relations. There's one area that was not uh, achieved, and this was the annual job opportunity and unemployment uh, report, which was delivered two weeks after the deadline. And this was mostly because of the scheduled work restrictions that we had, as well as external data and some internal data, which, which uh, we had to clean and refine in order to get a, a report, uh, to publish a report that could be relied upon. Chairperson, I think that takes care of the presentation, except to say then that of the 22 indicators, we also oh, have the 28 indicators we achieved 22 uh, with a 73% achievement rate, which is a little bit better than the way we ended the quarter four in 2021. But the reality that the COVID pandemic still has got a negative impact on our performance because of the fact that we uh, have to access workplaces, etc. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, is there anything that you would like to, before I open for questions? No, no thanks, Chair. I think she, uh, she did the presentation very, very well. We'll take the questions, Chair. Uh, honorable members, there is the presentation. Can I get an indication of the rule want to get some comments, clarities? I am trying to see the hands. Oh, yeah, now I see Honorable Kondo, Honorable Kondo, Honorable, Honorable Kondo, Honorable Dabe in that order. Honorable Kondo. Thanks, Chair. Good morning uh, to you, Chair. Uh, we wish you a speedy recovery from that monster uh, called COVID. Uh, good morning to honorable members. 
the deputy minister, the DG and their teams, our guests, if we do have any guests. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Um, Chair, we, we welcome the improvement in the performance, but just to say uh, it's still not enough. We understand the challenges that have been experienced by the department, but um, the improvement is welcome, but uh, it's still enough. We hope the, uh, the department will work even harder to achieve uh, even more. The Deputy Minister talked about the National Labor Migration Policy um, activities that has already started. That is of um, public uh, uh, interest, uh, Chair. Uh, we, we, we will be waiting to hear as to exactly um, after the, the, the executive processes have been finalized, we are waiting uh, to be a, a part of, of those activities. Chair, um, my main worry Though I understand that uh, COVID played a very pivotal role in the inspection enforcement services to achieve only 25%. And um, that um, the department is now advocating for the vaccination of um, the inspectors. My question is how far are they, are they changed? And that to just ask that, is it possible? Because the department was having the mega blitz uh, inspections in the hospitality uh, sector uh, in the, uh, during the few weeks. Chair, is it possible that we can get a, a clear program of um, a, 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 a such activities as a committee as to um, how, how many uh, entities will be targeted maybe in a quarter and then we are able to get a report because that also is of a, a, a public interest um, a chain. People want to know as to what are these inspectors doing, specifically uh, with regard to what they were doing during the mega please uh, inspection in the hospitality sector, and to ask as to when are the other sectors like farms going to be to be to be targeted. That will be my comments and uh, questions, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Kondo, Honorable Mdave. Um, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, and good morning to you. And uh, good morning to the Honorable Members, and the, the Deputy Minister, uh, DG, and uh, the Management. Um, 
Chair, um, we welcome the presentation and improvement, as the Honorable Contour has said. However, uh, it is a challenge, especially in the provinces that are economic hub of the country. Your Kauteng, KZN, and Western Cape. Our IES performance is almost uh, 67%, and uh, it is a serious challenge. On slide uh, 22, there were 24,000 companies that were not uh, inspected, almost 25,000. Out of the 49,000 that were inspected, 36,000 were compliant with the existing law. And then 12,000 of those, 12,600, were non-compliant. If we take the magnitude of the challenges that we faced as a nation, that this department has a responsibility to make sure that people do have confidence in what we do as government to make sure that those who are employed, their employment is secured and is compliant with the legislative parameters. Therefore, if we find that 12,600 of the employers are not compliant and we are not given a, a report that says what has then been done about those who have 12,000 employers that have not been complying with the legislative requirements, um, how are we going to then respond to the challenges that are being raised on a daily basis by the people if those I'm not sure whether there is anybody in the department that um, is looking into the, the social media, especially the ones that talks to the people who are serviced by the department, who engage in the department um, social networks. The complaints are enormous. So we therefore need to find a way of how best can we address and improve on the work that we do, especially in the labor centers. Um, I'm not sure, Chair, whether uh, some members have been able to visit the labor centers in their constituencies. People are, our people are exposed to the environment that is not conducive for service delivery. I think we are far worse than what we used to know uh, is bad service. Uh, the West department used to be home affairs, but we, are, we seem to be far exceeding underperforming in the, what we do in the labor centers. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Mutabe. I see those were the only hands. Uh, uh, from my side, I would, I would like, if it's possible, I'm, I'm more, as much as all slides are interested, are interesting, I would, I would be interested in, in slide 62. Is it possible to go back there? Because I'm, 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 I'm using the same gadget that has got my documents. Is it is it possible, DJ, Matepelo to slide 
62, the one that talks about, yes, the, 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 this, this light, this light for me is very, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Where it is falling short, in my view, DG, is that these placements, is it possible for these placements to be to be categorized, if I can put it that way, so that we are aware which sector is a, you are more a, a placing these uh, these these young people. Uh, that th that will be my. If if you can also go to slide sixty five. Yes, uh, the, the co collaborative partner that you are having. Is it is it is it possible or is it something that is is difficult to achieve that you also have a collaborative partnership with Tivet colleges? I'm raising that because. It, it's where uh, young people are, 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 are attending to achieve uh, the, the skills. Is it, is it really, I'm, I'm raising that because we, we are always as, as, as public representatives and as activists that would like to see an end uh, of, of, of this silo mentality by departments. And I think as 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 as, as, as the legislative arm of the state, we are to ensure that that is enforced worse this time around. Uh, because there are a number of things that may be falling into 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 cracks and as this Portfolio Committee, which is overseeing the Department of Labor, will be just very harsh by history uh, because it is our responsibility to, to really have an understanding and know what is happening in other departments. How do they work? If, 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 and I hope it's not something that is out of, is that uh, if, if I can just take it to tour, the president in 2019 said, uh, so now that uh, young people, uh, with, uh, when they seek employment, uh, experience is not to be asked. Where, where are you able to pick that up as the department so that we know? Or is it because departments, because of their silo mentality, you, I don't want to say it's a no-go area to go to one department or, or there are serious protocol challenges regarding to that. And if we are not exposed to that, we will then just be, and we will have to take responsibility when we are blamed by, 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 by citizenry, that uh, we are just, uh, we are toothless as, 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 as the National Assembly uh, and, its, and its committees in ensuring that 
we we make this department to account. And in my view, that is that 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 that's why I am then asking these questions that uh, is to have that partnership with the department of 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 higher education and training uh, in particular the 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 the, the, the Tivet, uh, uh, area. We, I would, I would really appreciate if uh, the, the other slide, sorry, the other slide, which which caught my my interest, is one that is for for uh, non-compliant uh, non-compliant employers in terms of the inspection. You said something about the usage of technology. In, I, I don't know whether usage of technology in terms of preparing case for prosecution, or is it usage of technology in, 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 in accessing, uh, uh, I'll say, uh, the department of that is to prosecute these employers? If you can, if you can just clarify that for me and, and to say if I, I misunderstood uh, uh, that uh, say that uh, you know I have I have done that. I I, I would then allow uh, you to, but before that, DM uh, 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 and DG. My understanding is that there is a partnership between labor, government, employer communities in Nedlake, which among other things, why I'm raising that is because I am feeling, I am finding it very difficult. And I think that's what is the committee we must look into that a social partner that is forever taking a knock in terms of some of the issues that are, are, are found to be lacking in the workplace, in terms of uh, uh, the 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 office, uh, the the health and safety uh, officers, that I would have thought that the department will also reflect that uh, within that uh, the, 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 the labor in the workplace and the employer are not are not are not coming together in addressing this because it's it, it, it's something that I think that now we will have to 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 really look into that as this committee because we are a committee that is expected to 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 ensure that a workplace is a conducive place to work but it is not only the responsibility of government because government is not at the factory floor government is not at the factory floor there it is an employer and employee and what 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 are their what how are relations there so that we are then able to say to say to government we think you are falling short in assisting here and also to take uh, both these partners the labor and the employer to account if they are failing to represent their workers and if and if the employer is also sabotaging uh, the, 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 the labor force in its workplace because it wants to continue doing things 
uh, outside the law. That is why I am interested in, 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 in that and, and teach that, that comment in terms of how is the situation in terms of the workplace in your observations as Department of Labor. And we'll hand over to you for, 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 for response. Over for you to, to respond on the, on the comments and questions that have been asked. Thank you very much, uh, Chair, and the honorable members for the questions that you've uh, asked. Um, we, we appreciate the comments made by um, Honorable Kondo. Um, we certainly um, striving to make sure that we improve our performance and achieve our all the set targets. Um, when it comes to the national labor market, national uh, labor migration policy, uh, what we ask in cabinet to do is to allow us to um, start the consultations, um, meaning that we we have to publish the document for pub we have to send the document out for public comments, and thereby. Um, also starting a process that um, will lead to a NEDLEC social partners um, discussing the, um, the, the, the policy. Um, so, so those are the two processes that we are asking cabinet to allow us to do. And hopefully the outcome of the, uh, of the meeting today will grant us that opportunity. Um, I'll ask DDG uh, inspection Enforcement Services to talk about the Inspection Enforcement Services um, performance. There's an issue relating to um, us advocating the advocating for the vaccination of the inspectors, and how far are we with that? Um, honorable members would know that the for now the issue of vaccination is um, is, is is not a is not mandatory. Therefore, um, as, as, as a department, we are often, in fact, we are guided by the Department of uh, Public Service and Administration on the steps that we must take with regards to, um, to, 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 uh, to the issues relating to vaccination. We, we, we encourage our inspectors, and in fact, all our officials uh, to vaccinate. Um, and we're hoping that the, the outcome of the uh, CCMA uh, case and the ruling by the CCMA uh, recently on the issue of uh, mandatory vaccination um, will help the DPSA to provide us with, the, with guidance on this matter. Uh, because we are a government department. Uh, we have our views in terms of uh, uh, mandatory vaccination, but uh, being a public institution, we are guided by um, by public service and administration um, <clears throat> department. So we have not um, issued any instruction to our inspectors, uh, you know, to to vaccinate, but we have encouraged them uh, to do so, as we have encouraged all other officials of the, the department. On the clear program of the blitzes, uh, certainly we will uh, 
and share we'll, we'll share a copy with the with the committee a copy of our plans um and we will also provide reports of um, our findings uh, when we visited this establishment and and just to uh, give an indication to the committee that uh, we we target all um sectors not only uh, the hospitality sector and we target all all sectors including um the the farming sector i think there was a question that uh, honorable Mkondo raised whether we <clears throat> we do um we do other sectors so we'll share that information uh, with, the, with the committee on the issues relating to service delivery um honorable we share the sentiments because what we've picked up is that um before COVID, um even though we had enough, we had uh, long queues in some areas, um, but we had we had found a way of uh, mitigating um, the the challenges of queues. We established the queue uh, queue marshal. We, we came up with a system that manages uh, queues. But I think the 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 uh, backlog. Um, that people had in terms of coming to the department and report and complain um, and and apply for benefits um, has created a, a challenge where we, we see the long queues um, at our offices. We are in the process of devising a means to uh, to reduce this. I think when when the time is right, we will uh, share that information with the committee. Um, because we want to make sure that uh, we reduce uh, these queues and also um, even the outstanding um, claims that, uh, that that we're sitting with. Um, there's a lot of work that was done around December because the instruction that we issued to, for instance, UIF was that all the, the claims um, that that formed the backlog must must be eradicated and um, a lot of work went through um, during the December period. Um, so <clears throat> those are some of the steps that we're taking to make sure that we reduce the, um, the long queues. And of course, there's an issue of providing shelter to this, um, uh, to our people when they go, when they visit our offices. Um, often we, we battle to make sure that this happens because um, we rent and this we 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 we're renting um, these offices, and in in, in most in, instances we have landlords that are just um, you know very very difficult. Um, I, I think that we're also battling, for instance, to provide um, water when there's uh, when we have water outages, uh, because landlords in some instances are refusing to make sure that we have uh, tanks there. Um, that will provide water to our, uh, not only to the, to the officials in, in the offices, but also to the people that visit our offices. But this is a matter that we are um, handling with the Department of uh, uh, Public Works and Infrastructure uh, to make sure that we, we address all these things. And in, in a situation where we have new offices, I think we have attended to this, um, where there's, um, there's adequate cover or shelter for, for people who are able to stand in, in queues. But we also have another phenomenon 
um, where people decide that they're not going to go to the labor center. Um, they'll either write to me, the minister or deputy minister, because they um, they don't want to they don't want to sit or stand in um, in queues. Even though we appreciate that, but it it means that uh, we have to prioritize those complaints that come uh, through our offices because uh, that's the very nature of how we operate. Is that uh, complaints that are coming through the office of the DJ minister or DM? they are given priority. And that makes it very difficult because those that are sitting at labor centers um, who you know, decided that they would follow the correct channels um, are now finding themselves at a disadvantaged position uh, because they, their cases are not prioritized. So we all appeal to people um, as much as they, uh, we have an open door policy that uh, they must go to our offices so that we treat you know, everybody equally. Um, on the categorization of the uh, of placement in slide two, um, I had asked the public employment services colleagues to send me a slide. Uh, I'm not sure if that slide has, uh, um, has been received by Matapelo so that you can flash that slide, Chair, and you can see that uh, indeed we do um, categorize placement uh, you know by sector not only by um, by gender um, I think when that slide is ready Matapelo will just uh, flash it on the issue of uh, collaboration yes we have a relationship a very strong relationship with Department of higher education and training uh, and in fact um, we work very very closely with the, with TVET colleges um, we we and some of the labor activation programs that that we have, um, we have it with the with, with the TVET colleges. So we have a very good uh, relationship with them. But that can be improved uh, because it's not all TVET um, uh, colleges. We we're currently working with with DHET, um on issues relating to the employment of um, <clears throat> graduates. Um, and that includes, uh, you know, people that are coming through the TVET colleges. So the, this the, this slide chair that you see, um, it, it 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 gives you a sense of um, where these opportunities, um, whether the opportunities were were informal uh, or were were from uh, learnerships. So you can see that. Uh, 57% of that 14,852 were formal jobs um, and 33% were, were, were projects and 7% were, 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 were leadership. And on the graph, you can see that uh, we also have apprenticeship. Uh, we also have UIF neighbor, UIF neighbor activation program um, and, um, and, 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 and the SIPS uh, one. So, so we categorize the next slide. Is that the only slide you got, Matapelo? And we disaggregated it in terms of uh, the provinces. Um, so that's the that's the, the data in terms of uh, what each province has contributed um, in terms of the placement. Next slide.
this is placement by employment type. Uh, I think it's a, it's a disaggregation of that data in terms of uh, um, whether it's temporary or, 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 or permanent positions. Okay, next slide. So, so this slide, Chair, gives you that uh, categorization you were talking about. Um, you see that um, normal services, 67, agriculture, safety and security, manufacturing, mining, local government, insurance, education, construction, uh, clothing and textile, chemical, banking, finance and accounting. And you see um, local government, safety and security and education um, are very, very um, high. Um, so, so that's the categorization chair that you asked for. So what we'll do, um, we'll include these slides um, in every quarterly report that we submit to the committee so that you have a sense of uh, the totality of uh, placement that, that we're reporting. Um, I think the Inspector General will deal with the issues of inspections and non-compliance. Um, Honorable Mdabe raised the issue of uh, 12,500 employees that are non-compliant, and in the report, we're not indicating what has happened to that. I think the Inspector General will deal with that. On the issue of experience, Chair, um, indeed, the President announced that uh, for entry-level positions um, as in government, um, we must relax the, um, the requirements so that we're able to absorb uh, quite a number of uh, people. And indeed, we have done that in the department. Um, all um, entry-level posts um, do not require um, experience unless it's in the um, specialized um, field, um, like in your occupational health and safety um, area of the work, um, where we require, uh, you know, uh, special specialization and and experience. Even with that, if it's a normal a junior post or entry level post, um, we, we, the the requirement for experience has also been uh, relaxed. Um, but we did not relax qualification because we we need those um, and we cannot relax those. So I'm going to ask, uh, um, and I think there was a there was a, a, a there was a, a circular that DPSA issued to that effect, chair, where it was instructing all department to make sure that uh, all posts at entry level, um, you know, in, in those posts were able to absorb young people that do not have uh, experience. Um, I'll ask uh, the COO to talk about the service delivery at our labor centers a little bit, and Inspector General to reflect on the inspection and enforcement services work um, and the reasons why in the first quarter we have performed at a, at a, at a very low uh, performance and, and other issues raised by Honorable Dabe on what happened to those uh, 12,500 employers that were not... Uh, that were non-compliant. Did you take Inspector General over to you? Thank you, 
share. Uh, thank you, DG. Probably before I respond to the questions of uh, underperformance, shall please allow me to also talk to issues that were raised by uh, Honorable Mukonto in terms of um, the mega blitzes that have been happening currently. Yes, we've embarked on mega blitzes. I need to point out that the concept of conducting blitzes has always been an inherent part of the work that we do as the inspectorate. So it, it is really nothing new. However, at the latter part of uh, 2021, we introduced the, the concept of mega blitzes. The difference between the traditional blitzes and the mega blitzes is that we have brought in the issue of um, national roving teams. And what that means essentially is that we will bring in um, inspectors from various provinces to, to go and um, to form a team that is going to blitz in a particular area. Part of the reason we're doing that, um, Chair, is that we amplify on our resources and the impact, as well as uh, just um, circumventing the whole issue of over-familiarity of particular inspectors with particular workplaces. So that is what uh, the mega blitzes is meant to do. The first mega blitz that took place uh, was in the Eastern Cape uh, from the 22nd to the 27th of November last year. Um, in this instance, we targeted the road freight and logistics. And Chair, I need to mention that each province is going to have its mega blitz and the approach and the uh, sectors that are going to be targeted by each province will depend on what the, the various provinces will regard as either high risk or problematic sectors. So for the Eastern Cape, the mega blitz covered the road freight and logistics sector. We conducted in total 67 inspections. We also had two roadblocks. And also inherently, mega blitzes bring um, all role players in the space of um, uh, enforcing compliance. So for instance, with the Eastern Cape one, we had um, the bargaining councils being part of the mega blitzes. We had um, home affairs, particularly immigration officials, or instances in which will, uh, so that they're able to deal with uh, immigratory issues or migratory issues. Um, we also had SAPS and um, and so forth. So just uh, for me to uh, point out that. So the, the other interesting dimension is that we also had two roadblocks. One was on the end to truck in and the other one was at the Kinky Boss. Um, so it was a joint initiative, like I indicated. Then in the Western Cape, actually we started with um, the hospitality sector mega blitz last year for the work, Western Cape. Uh, this year was a continuation of the work that had started last year. Still on the same week, 22nd to 27th. Um, then I think about two weeks back or so in, in the um, Western Cape from um, what we targeted in terms of uh, the blitzes is, is that we looked at the hospitality sector. We 
uh, inspected just under um, around 900 and something workplaces in the hospitality sector. We covered the Overbeck area, Melnaton, as well as um, Western Cape Central. The next blitz is going to KZN. It is going to take place on the 7th to the, to the 11th of February, so basically next week. And we are targeting to cover uh, 1,880 workplaces. It is going to be covering a wide spectrum of sectors, and almost all the sectors are going to be blitzed, including wholesale and retail, road freight and logistics, as well as, um, again, the hospitality sector. We have a program like the DG has said, um, all the provinces are going to be conducting the, the mega blitzes. We are going to avail the program. We also would avail reports like DG has said, as and when we, we finish the Eastern Cape is already available and quite detailed. It can be forwarded uh, immediately after this meeting. We're busy finalizing the Western Cape one. So that is just in terms of um, the concept of the mega blitzes. And then with regards to the performance of the branch, indeed, the, the, the performance is also unacceptable and worrisome to us as well. Uh, we, are, uh, we, are, we are indeed sitting at 25%. We have flagged uh, the issue of COVID as being a problematic. I mean, we are at, in April, we're at level one, alert level one. Last year in May, alert level two, and then June, alert level three. So the fluctuations also kind of play the, a role in, in making us to be a bit unstable. However, Chair, I also need to, to indicate that um, we, some of the reasons that we, we didn't advance and could have um, amongst others um, entail the issue of vacancies. At that time, um, the reporting period, the branch was sitting with 273 vacancies which is about 12% of the vacancy rate. We have since improved. However, that number at that time was unacceptably high and indeed also affected our performance as a branch. We've also uh, started to use, utilize the case management system. What this means is that the work that we do, we now capture electronically instead of um, manually. Honourable members will recall that um, the branch has been inundated with um, unpalatable audit uh, outcomes with regards to our findings. And um, I think, um, I know most of the negative findings were uh, driven by the fact that we've al always been a manually intensive when it came to um, the way we report. So since the beginning, or the financial year since uh, April last year, we have we took a decision that we're going to utilize the case management system. It has come with this fair share of challenges and some of the work that we've done um, were unable to reflect um, the work on the system on time. So uh, that also had a, a bearing on our performance. We have since improved um, because we are indeed reporting historically, and some of the measures that we have put in place have borne some fruit. And honorable members will notice that as we come back to report on the next um, reporting period, there will be improvements that would have taken place. Uh, 
Honorable Debbie raised the issue of uh, the 12,642 workplaces that were non-compliant. Uh, in that regard, we issued out notices 99% um, uh, of those workplaces were issued with notices, uh, exactly 12,593. Um, and uh, those workplaces that continued to, or that remained non-compliant, even after the notices have been issued, were then referred for prosecution. And in that regard, we referred over 500 um, workplaces for prosecution. So I, I do need to emphasize that each and every um, workplace that is found to be non-compliant is dealt with. Our standard allows us to refer at least 90%, or rather to issue out at least 90% um, notices to uh, non-complying workplaces within 14 days. So in this regard and at this quarter, we're able to issue out 99% uh, within uh, 14 days, thus surpassing uh, the target. The last question was raised by yourself, Honorable Chair, regarding the usage of technology. We're really talking about that in the space of um, prosecutions. And um, unfortunately, when it comes to referral for prosecutions, it's an activity that is outside our domain of control. We, we depend on... Um, um, prosecutory uh, institutions, and um, we know that sometimes this can be very traditional. We find that they wouldn't necessarily accept the documents that are either emailed or um, sent in other ways. We prefer uh, that you, you send these things in person. So in our engagements with um, the, the, the prosecuting authorities, we're trying to explore or uh, the extent to which you could utilize technology to enable us to be able to send documents and sometimes also rule out the issue of printing documents because of the need of hard copies. It's something that is ongoing and some of the things are uh, legal and may not um, be uh, resolved at, at a speed that we'd like to that we desire. However, it's, it's things that we continue to explore because we work closely with uh, role players and, and, and partners, uh, particularly in the space of um, compliance enforcement. And I think that takes care of the questions that relate to inspection enforcement services. I thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Inspector General Tichi. Is Chair, thanks, yes, I'm here, Chairperson. Um, I'll ask the COO to just reflect on the performance of the labor sectors. Um, COO? Thank, thank you. Thank you, DG. Uh, indeed, what the DG has said earlier, the performance of the labor centers is of grave concern to us because we can also see the queue standing in front of the labor centers. But I would like to put one matter into perspective. We tend to forget that a labor center is also a workplace <clears throat> and as such is also subject to all the occupational health and safety rules and, and regulations that we have implemented for all other workplaces. Now let me make it practical. If a labor center services 300 people a day, there's a positive case in that labor center and we have to close the labor center to clean it. 
for the safety of our clients as well as our staff. It normally takes, if it happens today, by tomorrow it is cleaned, it opens the day thereafter. It means immediately there's an additional 600 people that must be serviced by the labor center under the circumstances that we've had up to now. So it does build queues. We have appointed queue marshals to deal with these queues, to send people in different directions, depending on the type of service that they have or they require. And then one of the big reasons for the long queues was also the backlog that there was in terms of online applications for unemployment insurance benefits. Now, this backlog has been worked off by the provinces. It was first centralized at the UIF head office. And then I think towards October last year, end of September, October last year, it was decentralized to provinces. And they've worked off the backlogs so that there is no backlog or virtually no backlog at the moment. So that also takes care of a number of clients. What the Director General has said about the office accommodation, I'm not going to repeat. I think those are well-known matters. But our staff work, uh, we have extended service hours in an attempt to to deal with the clients as they come in. Some labor centers have uh, also gone so far as to put where they see the queues are lengthy, chairs on the outside, so that clients at least can sit when they have to wait. We also have to sometimes, unfortunately, limit the number of clients that we can deal with on a given day, given all the regulations and prescripts that we have to follow. Okay, so it is indeed not an ideal situation. We are doing what we can in the difficult circumstances to assist our clients as fast and best to the best of our abilities. Thank you. I did say. I, I don't think it will be, I'm trying to get if it is fair for Miss Marshall to, we don't, we, it's not that we, we don't, we're not aware or we have forgotten that labor centers are workplaces. And I think that's, that, that statement, I don't think it is fair. We, we are quite aware that their labor, they are workplaces and they are to be run and managed according now to protocols that we we are aware. But it doesn't mean that when we see or we witness or, or observe uh, 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 how, how, how people are serviced, we must then not be, we must uh, keep quiet because it's a labor center and, and, and so what. So I'm, 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 it's a workplace. So I'm 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 really I'm really appealing. We know that uh, the, the, the Department of Labor, uh, at the end, uh, and its officials at, at at local level, they are doing the best that they can they can do. I'll make an example in, in, in where I I stay in Kwebeha. It's a very awkward situation where you are located in terms of shelters. But when they are inside, immediately when they are inside and the queue marshals are doing their level best, but it can't be. Maybe, uh, well, English is not my first language, but to say that we tend to forget that labor centers are workplaces, no, I, it, it didn't uh, work well to me. Uh, and 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 uh, yeah, and I, I'm not implying that it was it was it was it was said to to undermine our question, but just but just just uh, 
one thing we need to be reminded. I want, we are aware, but we will raise the issues that we want to raise. The only thing that has not been responded by, by you, DG, is this thing of the, of the, of the, 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 the workplace, health and safety, environment, government is forever uh, blamed, but there are role players there at the workplace with this labor and, 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 the, and, and the employer. And the relationship in managing those, I don't know whether the Inspector General is able to respond to that. Uh, yeah. Chair, thank you very much. Um, I think you're correct. Um, that, that didn't come out right. Um, um, and, and, I, and I, I, I suppose it's a, it's a question of... Uh, uh, how one uh, you know, expresses herself or himself. Um, I, I think what the COO was trying to say was that uh, whilst we um, concerned about the, um, the service delivery, we also have another challenge where we're trying our level best um, to reduce ex exposing our official to um, all sorts of uh, you know risks, um, but I think I agree with you that that didn't come out uh, nicely, um, and and I know what she meant. Uh, she didn't mean it to um, you know uh, try and um, you know disrespect the committee, or I think um, uh, she was trying to express the point that. Uh, we often have to strike a, a, a balance here because we have to protect our officials. The last the point you raised, I was going to respond to it. Um, the issue of partnerships between social partners at, at, at NetLeg uh, and also the permeation of that uh, partnership at, at, a, uh, at a workplace level, especially when it relates to occupational health and safety. Um, during COVID, the, there was a very good drive by, um, by organized labor um, to resuscitate the health and safety committees. Remember that um, the OHS Act requires um, workplaces to um, establish health and safety, uh, to appoint health and safety reps and establish health and safety committees. And um, the inspections that we did during COVID, and in fact, even long before COVID, um, we would pick up that uh, such structures are, dysfunction, are dysfunctional. Now, those structures are very, very important uh, in the sense that they allow the, um, the dialogue uh, or discussions amongst the, the social partners at a, at a workplace level. And, and resolve the, the issues around health and safety um, and, and how risks are supposed to be mitigated. Now, there, there, are two, there are three reports that we look at generally as a department. One uh, is an industrial action report. That industrial action report often gives us a sense of how um, 
you know, um, social partners at a workplace level, um, how they relate to one another, and whether there's, uh, there's engagement, um, if there is engagement, whether that engagement is a meaningful engagement. And we often um, find out that, you know, one of the reasons that lead to strikes, for instance, is 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 um, is a fact that when people engage one another, um, they they don't engage to resolve the issue. They engage for the sake just for the sake of engaging, because one of the findings um, that one would see in the industrial action reports is that uh, organized labor would demand five percent. And the employer, employer would say, um, we can't afford that. And organized labor will then go on strike. They'll come back and settle at uh, 5% or 4%. Now, you ask yourself, um, why is it that they could not you know, um, find, the, find, find themselves in the first place, find one another and resolve the matter? And they already embarked on a strike. And employees lost an income. You also find situations where work, workers demand that they be paid five percent. Employer says we don't have a, we don't have money. Workers go on strike. They come back. Employer settles at, at six seven percent. So you ask yourself, but if 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 the settlement is is above what the employees demanded in the first place, why was it um, you know um, why why did the two parties not? engaged um, meaningfully so that um, strike could be, um, could be avoided. So the second report that we use that tells us that the, there's no engagement or meaningful engagement at the workplace are the OHS inspection reports that we get. Um, so in most instances, you see that the health and safety reps have not been appointed. And if they were appointed, the, the right process, process, process was not followed because there's a laid down process in the OHS Act in terms of how the health and safety reps must be appointed. So if instances where the right process was followed, the type of people that have been uh, appointed um, do not know anything about the, the health and safety of the, um, the, the this section or area where they, where they work, because that's another criteria that if you work in this area, you should know a lot about this area and you should be able to identify risks that are associated with work in that specific area. So the last report that we use um, is the CF report. We look at the number of incidences in the workplace. And that report tells us quite a lot. Um, if you look at the number of claims and benefits that, we, that we're paying, um, it gives us a sense that indeed, um, and both partners at the workplace are not, you know, putting enough effort um, to reduce incidences, um, or you know, there is no safety management system. If if there is a safety management system, that safety management system is not working. Because you, when you when a system is working, you should see by the reduction in the number of incidences, um, and and yet what we're seeing is a is the, is the opposite. So there's a lot of work that social partners need to do. Um, I'm sure you've heard the president was talking about a social compact. Um, 
to deal with issues of poverty and, and, and unemployment. Um, but if we don't address issues of health and safety at the workplace, um, and there's no social compact at a workplace, um, we will not have a functioning social compact at the national level. Because what happens at the national level must permeate through to, um, you know, to a local level, and meaning that at a, at a specific workplace. So that, that we need to build those relations. The CCMA has a, um, a strategy uh, where they're calling it a InfoCellen, where they proactively go to workplaces and um, deal with uh, these kinds of issues, try to prevent whatever disputes that may arise as a result of um, both parties not working, not only in relation to issues related to wages or salaries, but issues relating to occupational health and safety, um, they, they, they look at those. In, in, in short, Chair, that's, that's my response on, the, on, on, on that issue. No, thank you. Thank you very much, Tichi and, and your Just team. the last point, Chair. Just the last point, Chair, on that you would also know that we, we're in the process of amending the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Um, and, and one of the provisions that we're including now um, is a provision that allows employee employees to leave an unsafe and unhealthy um, uh, situation or environment. And that's a provision that we don't have in the existing legislation. Um, and, and we think that that, 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 that provision um, provides employees with, um, with, an, with, you know, with a tool uh, that they can use um, to make sure that their health and safety is, um, is protected in an event that the employer doesn't care um, about their health and safety. But of course, there will be consequences, um, and we just need to make sure that um, there are right mechanisms to deal with those consequences. Thanks, Jeff. No, thank you, thank you, Tiji. I hope I hope that amendment will reach us uh, uh, very soon, as as, as 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 the committee, so that we look into into that because it will be quite an interesting uh, uh, situation. Uh, we will now, without wasting any time, we then call uh, the next uh, presentation, which the teacher will introduce the, the action plan of, of the compensation fund. Thank you. Sure, thank you very much. Um, the committee will remember that um, we, we came to the committee, we, we said, um, there are a number of areas that we're working on, and some of these areas, they, they, they are long-term, and some of them, they are medium-term, and they are short-term uh, you know, uh, goals that we think we can easily uh, dispense with so that um, we deal with those issues. And one of the things that we said we will do um, is that we will build capacity around, around uh, finances um, so that uh, we're able to uh, to deal with uh, with all fin financial related uh, queries or of AG findings, and and we have we have indeed done that. I think the commissioner will dwell on that. And and secondly, um, 
uh, how through the use of the the system that we have now, how we manage how, how we have managed to deal with a number of areas. There are still serious challenges, um, as you will see from the report by Egypt. But we we were uh, optimistic that in the 20, uh, 20, 2021, 2022 financial year, um, we would have resolved quite a number of these challenges, given the resources that we have now provided um, to the fund um, to, to, to address quite a number of the, the challenges that AG has raised. So I want to ask the Commissioner Chair to quickly run through, uh, through the presentation. Thank you. Commissioner Mafata. Good morning, good morning to the honourable members, the deputy minister. I am connecting from I'm connecting from Ms. Reiter's machine. I am I'm having network challenges with my devices. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Matapedo to just beam the presentation because I can't beam it from where I am. Sorry, is it possible for you to come a bit down? We don't see your face, we only see your mouth. We see half of your face. I'm trying to just adjust this device. Okay. Hmm. Uh, can the chairperson see me? Thank you, thank you. Matapelo, can you just go to the main slide? Matapelo, can you hear me? Whilst we are waiting for Matapelo, I think we we I will, I will request honourable members to go to their to utilize their 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 the slides were circulated, but uh, I hope Matapelo will then be able to to look in. You may continue. Uh, is it fine, honourable members? Excuse me. Now, why everybody? I just want to check that is. Does this mean that the commissioner is not ready with the presentation? No, the commissioner. The commissioner is ready with the presentation. The only problem, honorable member, is that uh, the, the Matapelo was a bit delayed. Now the, the, this thing is on the, it's on our, in, in the, they have they floated the, the presentation. You may continue, honorable. I'm sorry, Mr. Mafat. Over to you, Mr. Mafat. Did you chair, here I am. So slide, so slide two is just the executive summary in terms of the content of the presentation, which details what I'll be taking the committee through. Matapelo, if you can just go to slide three, the next slide. Uh, 
The presentation as the, the Deputy Minister outlined in her opening remarks that this is the action plan that seeks to address the root causes that led to the audit outcomes based on those key focus areas that um, contributed to the disclaimed audit opinions uh, as outlined uh, or highlighted by the Auditor General over the last couple of years. And it would then, uh, so the plan just shows the work that has been completed uh, based on the actions and the targets that we had set for ourselves by end of December. And it also reflects a bit also on those that are due in the next quarter, uh, the quarter ending March 2022, and gives a bit of a high level outline of what those uh, or what the number of those activities are. Go to the next slide. So in the presentation, we'll have three uh, color schemes that reflect the, uh, the activities that have been completed. We'd have green, which would show those that have been completed, and also the, the ones that are not yet complete, the ones that would be highlighted in red, are those activities that, as part of the action plan, were due by end of uh, December 2021 and would have not been completed, though they would have been started uh, by then. And the ones that are highlighted in blue are those ones that uh, relate to activities that are not yet due for reporting. They are due, though, in the next quarter, so, so that we don't lose track of those items that are due in the immediate term. We then also track those so that uh, we know, uh, as part of the activities that we do to monitor the implementation of the action plan, we also then keep track of, of, of those activities. You go to the next slide. Then this is just the overall summary. So uh, out of the total actions in the action plan, about 169 of these uh, actions were due in uh, December. Majority of the actions in the action plan were in December and with just a few other actions due over the course of the 2022 uh, calendar year. So out of these, uh, about 138, which makes up about 82% of the activities were due in um, in December, we were completed. And uh, they broken down into those different categories that we've used to track the implementation of the action plan. And I will touch on the details a bit later on. And about 31 were not yet complete at the end of December. And some of those will report when we report for the progress reporting at the end of January that some of those activities would then, would then have been completed during the course of January and February. And these are about 31 of these activities, uh, which makes up about 18% of the activities that were due. And about uh, 12 uh, activities or actions are due for uh, implementation by uh, March 2022. So we are tracking these 12 activities to make sure also these are implemented and completed by end of, uh, end of March. That would leave us with just under about 10% of the actions that were part of the total action plan, which are then due over the course of 2022. In the next slide. To the next slide, Matapelo. Next slide, Matapelo. As Matapelo is moving to the next slide, the next slide is slide number six 
which then start to show the progress in each of these categories that you see on your on your left hand side in this table. Uh, Chair, I, I may proceed hoping the members are following from the presentations, from the handouts. Okay, that, so the, the first uh, category or area was under revenue and receivables from uh, non-exchange transactions. So now these are uh, audit issues that had been identified out of the um, revenue that we collect uh, as levies from employers. So this in our financial statements is classified as revenue and receivables from non-exchange transactions. Out of the, there were about 48 actions um, in total that we have in the action plan for this particular category. About 42 of them were to be implemented by uh, December 2021. And seven of these actions are the ones that we do over the course of 2022. Out of these, we implemented about 33 that we completed, which makes up about 79% of the actions. And about nine of these activities were had not been completed at the end of uh, January, which would, if we take these nine, we then add them to the seven that were that are due only towards the end of 2022. It makes it about uh, 15 activities that are still to be implemented in the current year. If you go to the next slide, then we start talking to the details in terms of some of those activities that we've done. If you look here, some of the issues that we had to address was related to the completeness and accuracy of the return of earnings that are submitted by employers. And one of the challenges as we presented when we were presenting the action plan is that uh, one of the issues that led to doubts over the completeness and accuracy of these was that uh, there were various streams of receiving return of earnings. And uh, as a result, there was no certainty on the AG was auditing as to whether all return of earnings have been accounted for in the revenue that you've raised. So we had activities uh, detailing around how we're going to ensure completeness during the filing season in June this year. So these activities, and also we've developed standard operating procedures that would also help us to continue to implement this action in subsequent uh, uh, years. Though a policy decision has already been taken that we will not be taking any manual return of earnings, but all the return of earnings will be submitted online as about 90 8% of employers do submit their returns online. Only a small uh, percentage of employers who are still submitting manual return of earnings. We also had to deal with um, uh, making sure that we fill all the vacancies within the employer services unit, which uh, would then help us to be able to deal with the backlogs relating to uh, employers that are flagged for audit. And we were able to then fill all a lot of those activity of those positions that were critical in employer services to make sure that uh, we deal with employers that are flagged for audit, and we have been able to then eradicate the backlog with regards to those employers that are flagged for audit. If there are any employers that are still flagged for audit now, those are employers that would have submitted their return of earnings uh, recently, but we don't have those instances where employers would have been waiting. Uh, for months or years without getting any correspondence from us in terms of what documentation they need to submit to complete the, the audit. We have uh, also uh, firmed up our deliverables with IES in terms of uh, is assisting with inspections and enforcement. One of the issues that had been raised by the AG was around the lack of enforcement of employers who are not complying with the COIT uh, Act. And also we've done some work with, the, uh, with, with CIPC as well as UIF 
to uh, assist with, uh, where, especially where we're doing investigations with employers who are flagged for audit, and also where we're looking at comparison of databases. So we have done some extensive work there, and we've picked up some of those variances, which we then also have reported to the CIPC. Some of them is exceptions that we are managing as part of our day-to-day -day business uh, now. And we've also done some activities around um, accounting of revenue in terms of uh, estimation processes. Though there is still some, based on the audit outcomes in the current year, there is some additional work that we still need to do around estimations, which we also then have adopted as uh, additional actions going forward. Uh, when we look at some of the issues that we have had, had not completed at the end of uh, December, we, we wanted to also develop the, so one of the issues was that where we do estimate, um, where employers have not submitted their returns, yet these employers are, 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 are registered with the fund. There is an accounting process that we expected to do in terms of raising uh, estimations for, for these employers through the provisions for the assessments that are not raised. The accounting process for, these, um, for this was not uh, correct as per the accounting standards in that uh, all the revenue that was submitted by employers subsequent to the provisions being raised would not be knocked off against the provision, but rather would be accounted for as revenue in the in the current year because the provision would have been reversed at the beginning of the financial year. Now, that's not how correctly we're supposed to deal with it because once we've raised a provision, this is revenue that we are accounting for. Um, and when there is any revenue that gets collected, eventually after the provision has been raised, we need to be able to knock off against the provision. That's the correct accounting process. So we have then started a process to uh, review the whole process, the way that the system has been configured to deal with these provisions for assessment. So this was not completed at the end of December, uh, including also the splitting of revenue, because currently the system doesn't allow for employers who submit return of earnings for multiple years, particularly if they had not been complying um, in prior years and they want to submit those in a current financial year, as opposed to accounting for all this revenue in the current year, there needs to be some splitting of the revenue between the different financial years. And uh, there was enhancements that we needed to do on the current SEP uh, ECC system that we're using for revenue. And uh, what we have seen is that this is not uh, doable in the SEP ECC environment because it would require us to redo the whole configuration of the entire CEPCC system. But what we're then doing is to um, incorporate this in the enhancements that we're doing on CompEasy because we will be migrating all our revenue functions into CompEasy to make sure that we have one integrated system for both claims as well as um, levies that we collect from uh, from employers. And so the other issues, one of the other issues that we had been dealing with that had been flagged by the AG was around the completeness of third party recoveries that we we collect so where employers um, where, where where an employee gets injured as a result of a motor vehicle accident, the process is that the compensation fund would assess the claim and pay the uh, the claim. Where the person also successfully submits a claim to the road accident fund, the portion of the claim that has been paid by the fund is then recoverable from the motor from the road accident fund, and the road accident fund road accident fund then pays the excess back to. Uh, to the uh, injured uh, person. So the where doubts around the completeness, especially around the recovery as well, because we know that there has been, the, the debt book from Brotex and Fund was a bit excessive, and they were, we were not so active and proactive in terms of uh, 
recovery of, of, of those. We have a building capacity in the Compasy system to enable us to be able to isolate motor vehicle accident claims so that we can proactively inform road accident fund of the motor vehicle accidents uh, so that when they do process the claims, we're then able to recover the money. And lastly, one other issue that we had not completed at the end of December was then to start dealing with the prior errors. One of the activities that was here that you will see when I report later on was the whole analysis of the prior period errors dating back 10 years ago so that we can have, have some specific actions in each of the categories. And some of those activities relating to revenue on prior period errors had not been finalized at the end of uh, uh, December. So this is ongoing work. The DG in his introductory remarks spoke about the resources that we've brought on board from the private sector on the finance side to try and help us to um, uh, address these issues much quicker than we are at uh, current moment. So one of the issues they will be dealing with are all these prior period issues that had been flagged in previous audits. We go to the next slide. The next uh, slide is around benefits. So there's another category where we had about 74 actions in the action plan in total. And out of these 74 actions, about 66 of the actions are the actions that were due in uh, by December, and only about eight were due after December. Out of these 66, about 56 were completed, which makes up about 85% of the total activities that were due in December, and about 10 were still in progress. And that's about it makes up about 15%. If you go to the next slide, it then just provides the the, the details. So we have done a lot here, and the DG spoke about the, the system that we've implemented, which has helped us to address a number of the um, root causes that led to disclaimers on the, on, the, on the benefit side. However, there is still a lot of work that we still need to do, particularly with regards to um, implementation of preventative as well as um, improving some of the automated controls that we have in place. So there was a lot of activities that we, we had. Uh, one of the issues was around the overpayments, particularly where we had invoices either where they are overpaid as a result of overpilling by an employer or by um, errors on the processing side. There wasn't any automated process on, on our side to make sure that we recover those. And we do inform uh, those that have been overpaid and have processes also to be able to recover from uh, subsequent payments. So we have implemented the subrogation process on CompEasy. It is an ongoing function and we, with where such instances do occur, we're able then to be able to uh, subrogate those invoices and recover the money from future payments. Uh, we've also dealt with uh, issues around advanced payments that we had been tracking that had been raised by the AG, I think from the year 2012 around the uh, advanced payments that were made by the fund in 2012 to uh, a number of financial of a number of healthcare providers, and these had then led to them being classified as uh, a, a fruitless and wasteful expenditure. And we have been able to recover from uh, from two of the service providers, and this process has been completed. And uh, with the other service providers, we have litigation that is ongoing. Uh, we also have been able to finalize the account verification uh, system, which is one of the things that we also had included as part of the preventative controls. And this system has been in effect from the 1st of October. We also have done a number of system controls and reports that we've developed and built on the system. We've also improved the um, segregation processes in terms of segregation of duties to make sure that where there is processing of medical claims, we have multiple people looking at 
uh, invoices to ensure that there is adequate controls. We've also looked at the issues around the Active Directory to deal with issues of fraud and corruption. And we've cleaned up the Active Directory to make sure that those that are in the system and that are using the system are only those that are still active employees of the Department of Employment and Labor. We also have started a process of vetting of medical service providers. And this process is now also um, a process that we run through an appointed uh, provider that then helps us to make sure that the service providers that are in the company's system are indeed genuine healthcare providers if they're healthcare providers. And then these uh, do qualify in terms of uh, relevant uh, legislation in the country to be able to bill for medical expenses. Uh, and there are some activities that were still not completed and a large number of those activities related to enhancements that we needed to do on the systems. Having stabilized the implementation of CompEasy, we had identified a number of areas that we needed where we, could, where we could still improve controls and uh, so there were enhancements that we had identified there. Uh, one of them was also where we needed to flag the system so that we proactive in identifying possible duplicate invoices submitted by medical providers. Uh, so, so, so to avoid instances where we currently, where when the AG does their uh, cats, they then identify exceptions and then they give us the exceptions to be able to respond to those exceptions. And we found that those, some, while some of those exceptions are explainable exceptions, uh, what may appear to be a duplicate may not be a duplicate, but we needed to make sure that we proactively identify this so that we can also then be able to give those to the AG so that when they do their cuts, uh, they already can minimize the amount of uh, inquiries that they're making with us to explain some of those exceptions. So we needed to build those um, uh, reports. So, so this was still in progress. And also we needed to reconcile um, some of the old uh, duplicate payments that had been identified by the AG as well as some of those country orders in terms of having a proper reconciliation to know what has been recovered, what has been paid, and from what has been paid, what is it that is recoverable from those that uh, we had litigated uh, against. So that process also was a bit slow. With the resources that we have now on board, these reconciliations are going to then take place uh, endlessly. We also looked at issues around uh, over and above issues of reports to combat uh, things uh, or issues related to fraud and corruption. We also needed to improve the physical security controls around our buildings as well as in the data center as we, we found that in some instances of fraud, the attack would then come uh, through physical um, breaches as well as breaches on the data center. So we have uh, some activities that we had not completed with regards to these uh, physical security controls. If you go to the next slide. This just continues some of the activities that we have. I've already touched on a number of these activities at a high level. This continues some of those activities that we've completed on the, um, the benefit side. If you go to the next slide, the provisions for extending claims. We had one activity. Now these are, at the end of the financial year, we required in terms of um, the accounting standards to provide for claims that would have been incurred by 31st March of that financial year and either have not been reported to us by employers or would have been reported by employers but would not have finalized the claims based on information that has been submitted. We then need to do a, a, an actuarial estimate of what is the value of these claims and what is the impact of these claims on the financials. We then account for these as uh, under the claims in the uh, income statement of the fund 
So there were some uh, issues that had been raised, particularly because of the disclaimers that the AG had on the benefits, and automatically then that would also then give some uh, disclaimers on the provisions for the outstanding claims. And also there is some activities that were identified that we needed to do to help improve the um, credibility of the provisions that we're making on the uh, outstanding claims. So the re- of the activities that were reportable in December, we had one, and we completed that. And one of the that activity, if you go to the next slide, was mainly around getting a new um, actuary, actuary appointed and to start the work of cleaning up the um, the provisions that we have currently in the balance sheet. We're sitting with about 11 billion rents of provisions that are sitting in the balance sheet, and we need to then to prove the authenticity of those uh, provisions based on the actuarial work. So some of the subsequent activities that we're reporting in the 2022 would be the work that these actuaries will be doing uh, with the fund to get the uh, provisions for the outstanding claims directly uh, done. If you go to the next slide. Okay, these are payables from non-exchange transactions. And our payables from non-exchange transactions, these are benefits that we pay. Um, and these are, are classified as such in the balance sheet of the fund, particularly those that would be outstanding at the end of uh, March when we do the financial statements. These would be classified as payables from non-exchange transactions. And there were some issues, mainly because of the issues that are in the benefit side. Those would also then impact on the uh, accounting side, which is on the payables on the balance sheet. So we had about four actions and all four of them were due uh, in December, 2021. And here we were targeting to make sure that these issues, when we do report for 31st March, 2022, these issues related to payables from non exchange transactions are addressed so that we then don't have these issues recurring in the audit reports for the 2022 uh, financial year. If you go to the next slide, the next slide then just explains some of these issues. One was the issues around reconciliations. Uh, what we needed to make sure that one of the issues that the AG always raises was around the fact that they would not get reliable reports that would support the figures that we show on the balance sheet as well as the figures that we show on, on the income statement with regards to benefits. And what we needed to put in place was the reconciliations of uh, sub-modules against uh, the GL with the implementation of CompEasy it provided us with a much better way of uh, reporting benefits because in the previous system, we had uh, two systems that were um, integrated and with the finance system in particular lacked the necessary sub-module. So we paid benefits, we processed benefits from the operating system and these benefits would then be integrated directly to the general ledger for them to be paid. And once they're in the general ledger, it would become difficult to try and reconcile those two um, to the reports that we're producing from the system. And that's one of the things that led to the AG disclaiming some of the payables that we had. Now with the Compisa system, we have an integrated system that is one. Claims are processed and paid in the same system. We have the processing side of the system. We've got the sub-modules. We also then have the GL. We're able to make sure that what is in the sub-GL reconciles what, with what has been processed on the other side and also reconcile with the value that we are reflecting on the general ledger. And also, we needed to make sure that we get the full listings of uh, all the claims and make sure, making sure that the listings of the claims agrees 100% to what is reflecting on the annual financial statements. 
And also we needed to do some analytical work that I highlighted earlier to look at all the prior issues that had been raised by the AG in the past. So in as much as we've now implemented the required controls on the CompEasy system, there is still a need for us to go back to the previous um, issues that had been raised, particularly those that had an impact on the financial statement to make sure that we clear and clean those. Otherwise, the disclaimer would not disappear because we would then be carrying things from the past that are now still reflected in the balance sheet of the fund because we account for uh, for our financial transactions on a cruel basis as opposed to a cash basis where you then forget about everything that happened in the past and focus only on what happened in the current year. The only activity that we had not finalized uh, was also to get the, while we've resolved the problem on CompEasy, we wanted to see if we cannot also then resolve the problem on the old system because we still carry a lot of financial transactions in that system. And those transactions are part of the balances that we have in the current, in the balance sheet now. So we then uh, needed to get an analyst to work with the finance team to extract all the items that are sitting in the system to do some analysis, analytical work so that we can then do the categorization of all these uh, financial information page of the financial year and try to agree it and agree it to those um, financial statements that we've produced in the past. So that is the activity that we could not uh, finalize. The, the resources are on board now and this is the activity that will be taking place um, throughout the course of 2022. We will have a new uh, due date for this activity because it's quite extensive. Part of the resources that we, we have uh, brought on board are also going to assist us on the finance side to get this activity completed, which is something that we will complete um, by the end of this year. Go to the next slide. The next slide is under, I think there's two categories relating to investments. So the first one was under consolidation. So one of the things that we've reported in the last three years has been that the unlisted investments or those investments that the fund had earmarked for job creation in 2028 in 2018 the ag indicated that these investments do meet requirements of being associates and as such we then need to account for them differently as opposed to the way that we are accounting for them up until then where we were just accounting for the investment values in the balance sheet we now needed to consolidate this as states in the financial statements, which is something that has different accounting requirements. And uh, for the last two years, we have been struggling to get these uh, completely done, particularly because we could not get financial statements of all the uh, companies because some of these companies have year ends that coincide with our year end and their audit requirements process would still be ongoing at the time when we have to prepare and submit our financial statements for audit. In some of the cases, the financial years would not match with ours and uh, would only be, the financial year end would only be post our audit process, which would then make it difficult for us to be able to use audited figures to consolidate these financials. And these are some of the things that then cost problems for, 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 for the fund. We had about three actions that we wanted to complete uh, early on in 2021. Um, and so three, all three of them were due by December. So we, we could complete one and the other two activities had not been completed. And I'll just reflect on those in the next slide. If you go to the next slide. Go to the next slide, Matapelo. 
Um, so if we look at these, um, so the first one was what we completed was to 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 address the issue of the mandate uh, to stop investing in these social responsible investments until we've sorted out the reporting issues that we needed to sort out with the PIC and have a process in place that would enable us to um, report on these um, investments correctly. That's required, and the. So the two that we could not is the first one was we then decided that we needed to appoint service providers through the public investment corporation who do the audit on our behalf, the high level review, because what the AG would say is that the financial statements that you're using to consolidate these associates in your financial statements, we want to have assurance that you have at least reviewed and you have uh, a certain and made sure that the information that you're reporting is complete, accurate, um, and is uh, verifiable. So one of the things that for this, we had then had to rely on the audited financial statements of these companies. But with the activities that we had identified, we were then going to appoint our own service providers through the PIC. They would then do these high-level reviews for us on a regular basis. Uh, and we then get these management accounts from these companies so that by the end of the financial year, we have reviewed all 12 management accounts of these companies and we can reliably use that information for consolidation so that at the time when they do produce their audited report, at least there isn't major differences between what they have given to us and what has been produced. So these companies, we had finalized the appointment process, but we had not finalized the contracting at the end of December. And that's the reason why we missed the, uh, the deadline. And they also were going to help us also with evaluations. One of the issues that the AG had raised was also that the financial statements that the PIC valuators are using to, to do valuation of these investments is based on um, IFRS, which is the International Financial Reporting Standards, whereas the uh, fund prepares its financial statements in line with the, with the generally recognized accounting practices, which is the public sector accounting standards. We needed to convert these financial statements to public sector uh, standards and then do valuation based on that. And these are the valuations that we then, we needed to make sure that we do the valuations for all the investments um, using these scrap um, statements. So we had not finalized this because this is linked to these service providers that I spoke about. Now that we finalize in the contracting, we'll then be able to do both the valuations this year in May when we prepare the financials, as well as having done some high level reviews of financial statements before we incorporate them into our financial uh, statements. Go to the next slide. The next slide is, um, so on the, on, on, the, on the next slide is also relating to investment in financial assets. In that particular area also, that's um, the first area was dealing with the consolidations. Now this one deals with all investments in uh, in, in the fund, both listed and unlisted. And we had about seven actions there. All seven of them were due uh, in, um, in December. We could complete five by end of December and two of them were still in progress at the end of December. And when we look at some of those that we finalized and completed was the revision of the mandate that I spoke about earlier on, and also the assessment of the current structure and investment to, to determine the, if it's we adequately capacitated um, and look at whether do we, this capacity, are we able to bridge it uh, a bridge it by appointing a service provider or we need to have permanent resources. 
We then did the assessment, and in terms of the assessment, we are then bridging the gap through the appointment of a service provider. But as part of the organizational architecture review that the minister has ordered, that is um, going to take place both on the compensation fund and the UIF, they will then look at also the adequacy of the investment structures that we have in the fund to look at what is the adequate ones that we need to have to effectively manage our investments. And also, we also then needed to make sure that some kind of uh, set some kind of requirements that we could use for the PIC to uh, comply with in terms of those investee companies so that we can see before we even get the reports whether these companies are headed for distress or not. One of the issues that the AG had raised in the briefing to the committee was around the fact that some of these um, investments that we do have get impaired and um, there isn't any proactive work to make sure that we address these issues. So we then requested covenants from the PIC that they had with each of these investee companies, and they expected them to report on these on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis when they submit quarterly performance reports, and we're able to then proactively see where we're headed for for trouble and if we need to intervene uh, to get them to intervene and get um, processes in place to make sure that some of these companies don't end up being impaired or getting uh, distressed, we're then able to do so through the investment committee of the board. We also then instituted some monthly management meetings with the PIC to proactively deal with all the issues that usually are highlighted when we, or that we pick up when we're preparing financial statements at year end. Some of the things that we had not uh, done and completed was the issue of the implementing the outcome. So of the assessment of the structures I indicated, this is going to be part of the um, architecture review that is being done on the whole uh, configuration of the compensation fund. And also the one that we, we, we had not completed was the amending the SLA that we have with the PIC to include penalties where there's non-compliance or non-performance. And this is mainly to help us deal with issues around where we need information from the PIC and we don't get it on time. Um, when it comes to preparing financial statements. So the SLA has been drafted and finalized. It is currently sitting with the PIC and their legal team, and we should then be finalizing that as soon as we've received the feedback PIC, which is uh, should be now in the month of uh, Feb. If we go to the next slide. The next slide was around the prior period errors. So we had about three actions that we were targeting, and two of them were due or were reportable in, uh, in December and we completed all two of them. If you go to the next slide, it just shows what those are. We then needed to do a detailed analysis, as I indicated, going back 10 years, all the audit reports, and look at what all the prior period issues that had been raised and errors that had been raised by the AG, and develop a guideline on, to management on how we're then going to deal with each of these uh, prior period errors. Management, together with the team that we just brought on board, is now going to be actioning uh, these results of this analysis, as well as the um, uh, uh, the guideline, implementing this guideline that we've put in place for dealing with these prior period errors. We go to the next slide. The next slide is contingencies. Uh, under contingencies, we then had, um, so these are also related to litigation uh, that we then have to report where there's possible financial implication out of the litigations or out of even the fraud investigations. We then need to do to to create some liabilities on the financial statements on the balance sheet. And uh, out of the, we have about six actions that we are targeting by end of 
implementation of financial plan of the action plan, and six of them were due in December, and we implemented about five, and one of them was not completed at the end of December. If you go to the next slide, um, so part of those that things that we were able to complete was one: we enhanced the the legal case management system which is the system that our legal services team uses to track and uh, uh, all the litigations. We have basically enhanced that so that we can then start to be able to scan also some of the litigation documents onto the system so that at the time when we have to submit the information for audit or even have to quantify the potential um, contingent liability related to those litigations, we're then able to just extract the information from the system as opposed to having to ask for information from the state attorney and uh, experiencing delays. So that system was finalized, uh, the enhancement was finalized. We also uh, looked at, we needed to conduct reviews and quality checks on the system. And this way was also done. We also then uh, needed to do a reconciliation of the uh, liability. So here we needed to then look at the, uh, the liabilities that we provide for pensions to make sure that both the short-term and the long-term portion of, the, of, 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 of these liabilities is equal to the liability that we have recorded on our financial statements. One of the findings that had been raised by the AG in prior periods, and we needed to make sure that with COMPIS, this is completely addressed. Um, and also the one of the things that we had asked the CFO to do was to look at the different items that contribute to um, to, to this liability, we then needed to document so that he creates an, a document that shows what is the expected information that needs to be recorded on a monthly basis and submitted to support the information that we're carrying in our financial statements so that at year end, when the financial statements are prepared, they, uh, the CFO and the team don't have to be running around looking for information from legal services and legal services also then running around looking for that information from the state attorney. As we've seen that the impact of the system downtime that the Department of Justice had last year when we were finalizing the financial statement meant that we could not get any information from the state attorney nor any confirmations of what litigations they, uh, we have. And as a result, we had to then spend more time uh, verifying the information and uh, before we could prepare it to the AG. In some of the cases, we then end up giving the information very late to to the AG in the audit process. So we want to proactively make sure that we keep this information. And if, though the AG wants to do verification externally with the Department of Justice in an event that they're not able to do so, we want to have some compensating um, mechanism uh, for them to do the verification, even though it would not have been an external verification that they wanted, but it would have addressed the risk to some extent. Uh, the only outstanding item that we had not done was the reconciliation between the state attorney offices all over the country as well as the state attorney here at National with the litigation that we have on our register. So that's the process that is ongoing. We have to finish this process by the end of the financial year so that when the CFO starts the process for the preparation of annual financial statements, we've already done the reconciliation and what we're reporting in our financial statements would then be deemed to be correct. If you go to the next slide, on irregular and fruitless and wasteful expenditure, there were about 12 actions that we were targeting here. And the main issues around our fruitless and wasteful expenditure from the audit point of view has been around completeness and accuracy of this. Uh, 
rather than non-compliance. So one of the issues that we had been uh, tracking was the about 12 actions that we tracked uh, out of the total action plan. And 11 of these actions were due for reporting in December 2021. And uh, one was uh, only after the December 2021. So we have been able to implement eight of these, which makes up about 73%, and three of them were not complete as at the end of um, December 2021. If you go to the next slide, the next slide then just shows the activities, a lot of the activities that we have implemented. One of the um, issues of we needed to finalize the permanent structure for the internal control unit. This is a unit within the office of the CFO, which helps the CFO to manage the uh, fruitless and wasteful expenditure and irregular expenditure registers. And also, um, also relate to start implementing consequence management with regards to any irregular fruitless and wasteful expenditure that is incurred and uh, making sure that we then hold uh, different managers to account for consequence management um, as well as uh, we have established a committee that we call financial misconduct advisory committee which then uh, deals with all uh, fruitless and wasteful expenditure cases, and they make recommendations to management on what actions or what must be done on, and confirm instances of fruitless and wasteful expenditure. And we also implemented a bit stricter turnaround times in terms of implementing any of the resolutions that come out of, uh, of, 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 of the committee, implemented and updated our standard operating procedures with clear timeframes so that we can, everybody knows what is expected and what needs to be done. Um, and also we targeted some of the high value cases as well to make sure that we get those dealt with by the committee as well as uh, with the necessary action that needs to be to be, to be taken. So one of the things that we had not, what, one of the things that we had targeted and that we did not complete, uh, and this is largely due to the fact that while we are, we finalized the appointments, but to, to get the confirmations and the all the necessary documentation from the those that we appointed, the additional resources that we um, going to be part of the financial misconduct committee uh, through getting external uh, members. We have finalized those appointments now. In fact, the committee met for the first time in January. Um, by December, end of December, this had not been finalized because we were waiting for them to finalize the appointment process on their side. And also we needed to... Um, appoint a service provider to do investigations, particularly where we need in-depth investigations. We previously reported to the committee that some of the items that are on the fruitless and wasteful expenditure date back years. And when we do look for information internally, we don't find any of the information that helps us to be able first confirm whether this indeed is a genuine fruitless and wasteful expenditure or an irregular expenditure. And secondly, get the necessary documentation that will enable us to know who we must then hold to account for this irregular expenditure, and if it's not, then start a process to get approval from the DG to uh, remove it from the registers and write it off. Um, so this was not done. We also wanted to appoint additional resources that would then augment uh, capacity within the internal control unit to deal with this um, voluminous uh, register. This was not done in December. We actually stopped that when we were making a headway with the appointment of the external resources that the DG referred to earlier on uh, that are assisting our finance unit to deal with these issues. So they also then will be taking this as part of the responsibility to help us.
clean and clean these registers. Um, if you go to the next slide. Um, so there were other administrative matters that also had been highlighted in the audit reports as well as in the briefing by the AG to both the committee as well as to SCOPA. So we also developed action plans around some of those uh, findings that contributed to those administrative matters that had been raised. There are about 19, uh, about 26 actions out of uh, this, and 20 of them were due before uh, December 2021, and six of these were due after December 2021. So we were able to complete about 19, which makes up about 95% of these activities, and about one of these was completed, which makes up about 5% of the um, activities. If you go to the next slide, it just gives the details. The, I think one of these issues was around um, other important uh, matters. Metapel. Next slide. So on the other important matters, we uh, having the issues around the, if you go to the next slide, the, the asset register. So this related to findings that we got on asset registers, making sure that the correct calculation of the um, depreciation, the calculating values in line with uh, craft standards. We did some enhancements then on SAP to make sure that we get the complete uh, register there. We also then also did uh, some kind of mon mon monthly status report uh, of employee relations cases relating to uh, to the clean audit uh, exco on a monthly basis. So this was to address the issues around consequence management and also defining standards. Uh, one of the issues that the AG had raised was the amount of time it takes to finalize disciplinary cases. So we then have to define some standards that we can then use when we appoint presiding officers for some of these disciplinary cases, then they know what the turnaround times and the standard time frames are for finalizing and dealing with misconduct cases, though it's not always uh, possible to meet some of these because especially of the delays and uh, postponements that take place, but the guidelines are then helping us fast track this much uh, quicker. We also have uh, some engagements with the DDG corporate services at uh, the department because most of the uh, disciplinary cases relating to any employees that are employed in the provincial offices. We then get assistance of uh, discipline through the department and the, some of these escalations have then been done to the DDG corporate services who then also assisted to get the officials in head office at the department to assist the provinces to fast track some of these cases. Um, we also had about 41 cases that we're tracking from previous uh, audit reports that were part of the consequence management. Uh, as at end of December, we had uh, about eight of these cases out of the 41 that had still been, that were still ongoing, that has still not been completed um, out of the 41. We also wanted to appoint a, an external uh, panel of external labor relations officers to assist us because both the fund and the department, we don't have adequate capacity to be able to deal with the volume of cases, particularly as we try and clean up the fruitless and wasteful expenditure register as we deal with the um, outcomes of some of the fraud investigations that are taking place, we then need a temporary capacity to make sure that we still meet the turnaround times that we've now uh, adopted for finalizing uh, these cases. 
So that process is still en route. It has not been finalized as uh, yet. If you go to the next slide, so um, slide 28, the some of the things, there's things that we then looked at as part of the key considerations for improving the control environment further. And we had identified about nine actions. And out of these, uh, seven of them were due for reporting in December 2021, two were after December 2021. So we were able to complete about five of these, which make up about 71%. And uh, two of them were still uh, in progress, were not complete yet. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, part of the communicating standards, also implementing standards for disciplinary cases, but also then turnaround times around when, how we communicate the outcomes of the sanctions coming out of the disciplinary processes to short, um, we reduce the time frames there. And also, um, we escalated cases that uh, had been uh, submitted to the DDG corporate services to assist with uh, fast tracking some of these. I think I spoke about these uh, earlier on. I think I'll end my presentations there, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mafata. Uh, um, members, there is a presentation. Any questions? Diner, please, Chair. I raised my hand, but I'm not sure if you can see it. Over to you, Honorable Dana. Then after you, it will be Honorable Mkondo. After Honorable Mkondo, it will be Honorable Kado. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, and thank you for the presentation. My first question is with regards to slide nine. Under the bullet points, uh, I think it's the sixth bullet point. It refers to actions that have been completed, finalized FDS and the AVS project, including verification on CompEasy, with the exception of reporting on bank detail amendments, and then which is obviously in progress next to that under the fourth bullet point. It's indicated that that is the onboarding of the banking services. Sorry, let me just get the slide here in front of me. Um, onboarding of the banking service provider to leverage off their controls on banking verification. With regards to that, um, I take it this is in relation to the notice that was published in the Government Gazette last year on the 19th of October. I would like to know what the status of this notice is, as well as um, an, I know there was a number of submissions made about this notice. I would like to know how many submissions were made and if the compensation fund is still in the process of vetting these submissions. Is there any feedback on this? When can the committee expect and the public, of course, expect um, the outcome of these submissions? 
And then also, Chair, I, I remember we received a letter from the Chair of Quedlink, Ms. Hankari Meng, last year, and we postponed that to this year. So I'd like to know when and whether or not the committee is going to discuss that letter, which is also a, a submission on the notice that was published last year in October in the Government Gazette. And then my last question is with regards to slide 29. In progress, which not completed, is indicated the conclusion on all long outstanding ER cases. I'd like to know how many ER cases are outstanding and whether or not there's a timeline on the completion of these cases. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Chair. Uh, there are actions according to the plan that were supposed to be completed um, by December 2021. And uh, according to the report, um, their completion has not yet reached 100%. I'm not getting from the report as to when are they uh, going to be completed, if we can be um, informed as to those that were supposed to be completed in December, um, uh, when are they going to be completed? And in some, I did not understand as to what led to them not completed. Chair, I hope that um, the action plans <clears throat> will lead to even addressing the issue of the 86 million, more than 86 million that the AG is, uh, spoke about. Um, that one of the irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure. And then, according to the presentation, the Finance Misconduct Committee is going to be reconstructed, but then who is responsible for that? Because I don't think that we can give the compensation fund to be a player, a referee, a lineman, and a, a, a player. Uh, this time around, because we are having a 10 years of this adverse and um, a, 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 a findings by the a, a AG. So who is responsible for re the reconstruction of the finance misconduct uh, committee? Um, because I would love to see a committee that um, is is not is not is not biased, um, and will be um, up to the work given uh, 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 to them. The the last one, chair, will be that that one of the gazette. I think uh, the Honorable Dana has addressed it. Maybe if we can get an answer as to how far is the process, when is the committee going to get 
the feedback on that one. Thank you. Can I go ahead? Yes, Thanks, Chair. Um, my question on the notice has uh, largely been covered by Honourable Denner, but I did want to ask the Commissioner about the, the gaps in the relationship between the Compensation Fund and the PIC, in particular, why it's necessary to have prior notice of impairments, and also if you could inform the committee exactly how much the compensation fund has got invested with the PIC. Thank you. Uh, thank you. In the absence of uh, other hands, May I then request the Commissioner to respond? Mr. Mafata? Allows, I'm going to respond to some of the questions and I'm going to ask my team to just add to some of the responses, uh, particularly Ms. Reuters and Mr. Kota on the PIC question. Jim, so the, the, the issue of the um, AVS, so we have implemented account verification system as uh, from the 1st of October, as I indicated. So the notice already published was more around us enforcing the non-payment into nominated accounts uh, so that we minimize exceptions that we pick up out of the account verification system and to improve also the or to deal with issues of fraud and uh, interception of payments by uh, unscrupulous uh, parties. So we have, uh, while we've implemented it, we've basically given the notice, we've received the comments uh, from the notices. We then currently studying, we've received a lot of notices, and um, writers will just highlight how many they are. But in the main, I think there's two that we've received, which are quite substantive from, the, from two third-party providers who are mainly affected by this. I must state that the issue of the account verification uh, benefits the beneficiaries, but it's impacting on, uh, on two uh, third-party providers who then uh, have uh, submitted uh, extensive uh, legal um, commentary on, on the AVS, and we, together with our legal team, are then looking at it. And we'll then study all the uh, what we've received and based on it, so the impact of the notice is that currently where there's exceptions, we're then managing those exceptions. And uh, after having looked at those exceptions, then pay based on the analysis that we've done. But with the implement full implementation, it, it would then mean that any exception would not be entertained and also would correct making details. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. So, um, 
so, so then they so what we're trying to do with the appointing a new service provider on the banking side and enhancing some of the controls we're actually trying to do much more than just account verification because there's multiple things that you can do to safeguard payments of uh, beneficiaries so we then want to leverage on those so that's why in our quest to then appoint a new banking provider we're looking at beyond just account verification because with the current banking provider we then only have account verification as a as a preventative, uh, a fraud preventative mechanism, but we're trying to do much more. Ms. Reuters, we can just comment on how many that we've received, and we should complete this by end of uh, February or so, and then we should be then in a position to know and advise. We advise the DG on what should be the way forward with the enforcing of the account verification uh, system. With the completed activities, so I indicated that some of those, so we're going to have some way, because of dependencies, a lot of the activities that we haven't completed, as you would see, they are largely centered around procurement processes and also system enhancements. The ones that are related to procurement processes, those will be able to complete, uh, some we've already completed in January, and we should be able to complete those end of Feb. But the ones that are related to the systems, we will be extending some of the deadlines because these are related to, um, these are proved to be quite extensive. And with the short period of time that we had set uh, ourselves, it became impractical for us to be able to complete those. So we are looking at what would be those revised dates that we then would request the DG to approve. Um, the FinMEC, we have reconstituted the FinMEC. We were Particularly when we're reconstituting it, we're trying to address the same concern that uh, Honorable Konto has, uh, has raised around the fund being a referee and a player. So the reconstitution then largely, and the DGs then uh, appoint the members of the, uh, of the, of the Financial Misconduct Committee. Um, we're trying to then make sure that this committee doesn't comprise of internal people, but it's made up of external parties. Uh, that would then objectively look at each of the cases and make recommendations uh, to the DG on what should be the actions that we need to take on each of these actions. So we have to then uh, done that to address this issue of the fund being a referee and a player. Uh, the relationship with the PIC, I think maybe just responding to the issue of impairments. I think one of the issues that, so whenever we, we invest, we invest the, the workers' money. So if an investment is made and that investment results in that investment losing value. That is a, a, a loss on the part of, uh, of, 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 the, of, of, of the assets that we have in the fund. So if there is any possibility that an asset may be impaired and so on, we need to know beforehand so that if there is any monitoring and intervention that we would want the PIC to make, we can proactively say so, as opposed to us picking those things up only in the valuation reports at the end of a financial year when the impairment has already taken place and there's very little that you can uh, then try to uh, to intervene intervene on. So I'll ask Mr. Gota just to speak to the issue of the, um, just to respond to the size of the investment as, uh, as at end of um, December where we're sitting at and uh, Ms. Reiteros will then come in and speak to the issue of the uh, submissions that we've received from um, uh, the public with regard to the notice that we published in October on account verification. Uh, Mr. Gorton? Thank you, uh, Commissioner. Uh, good morning, uh, honorable members. 
Uh, morning, Deputy Minister, uh, DG and the colleagues. Uh, the answer in terms of the size of the investments, uh, as at 31st March uh, 2021, uh, the compensation fund invested uh, 80.5 billion with PIC. And uh, currently, as at 31st uh, of December 2021, the amount was sitting at about uh, 85 billion rands. Uh, thank you. And uh, maybe to add uh, in terms of the issue of uh, irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure, uh, in addition to the external members who will be looking at these instances uh, of uh, irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure, Auditor General will uh, audit uh, all actually the items uh, that has come in the, in, in the register, uh, including uh, non-compliance uh, issues where they pick them up and when they are monitoring and uh, doing audit work on supply chain processes. Uh, they will also look uh, if we have uh, condoned and removed uh, those uh, instances uh, rightfully and following all the prescripts. Uh, thank you, honorable members. Good afternoon, uh, Chairperson, uh, Honourable Members, the Deputy Minister, the DG, and colleagues. With regard to the comments that we have received for the notice that we have issued, we've received a total of 75 comments. We are currently working through the comments and uh, involving our legal services, and we anticipate that we will be finalised with finalise those comments towards the end of the month, and we will then give the necessary feedback uh, to the DG and then determine based on the comments whether we are going to uh, continue with what we've placed in the notice or we are going to make some amendments. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Chair, maybe if I can just ask also, Miss, uh, there was a question I did not respond to relating to the number of disciplinary cases, how much we have. So, Ms. Mklung, we can just maybe just add on it. I know the ones that we were tracking that were part of the action plan are those that relate to prior uh, investigations, which was about 41, and where we had about eight that were still not finalized. But you can then be able to give a, a comprehensive response on, on it. Um, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, good afternoon, Chair. Yes, it's afternoon now. And honorable members, Deputy Minister Dichi and the uh, Senior Management of the Department. Um, with the eight cases of the disciplinary cases that we were still outstanding, we've made a significant uh, improvement uh, for the month of January. We are now sitting at we are now sitting at having five cases that are still outstanding, which can be will be finalized by end of next month, which is end of March, uh, because it's not the cases that we still have to start from scratch. Uh, two of them are still waiting for we're waiting for the verdicts from the chairperson um, and one the arbitration award, and one was finalized. However, an employee has not a dispute. And we have two that are still underway, which um, I think it's safely so to say by end of next month of March, we'll be able to finalize them. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Uh, I haven't seen any any other hands. There's one area which I would like to to clarify to members. Uh, the issue of a letter that was written uh, by Mr. Kadimeng. If my memory serves me well, in the last meeting I did raise, I did respond to that matter, and the response from the office of the chair was to the committee. We can't then, Mr. Katmeng is questioning the processes and the issue that is, is, a, is in relation to what was tabled when we were dealing with the amendments in our public hearings. Now that we have, we are done with that, any party has got that right to want to, to, to question some of the things. But our responsibility is to refer the person to the, the process that is going to take place within the NCOP. And I have checked with the, with the, with the, with the department to the PLO, the public hearings are taking place from the 22nd of February. And we will again, I will request Mr. Sakaza and the department uh, PLO to revert back to Mr. Katimeng and advise him that he can, he must then go, he must go to that end table what he, he is not satisfied with in that process because we can't reopen. That means everybody who has got something, we are done with it. The, 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 the House approved the amendments and the amendments are then through the rules have then been sent to NCOP for the NCOP to have its own process and, and everybody in terms of the stakeholders are allowed to can go and 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 pursue and 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 whatever they think that they are not comfortable with on how and 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 and, and what then was the response of the department at that time so i want to i want to i want to to advise uh, members and i'm not i'm not quite sure i would have thought that uh, 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 all the returning members in the committee will assist the office of the chair in understanding that that is then the 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 the, the, the situation so I, I now there's nothing that the committee can do for now until that process of the ncop is completed we'll hear what then will then be the recommendations of that process if if ncop has recommended otherwise is saying that we must look into that, then we'll then have to do that. But for now, there's nothing that we can do. I I, I hope uh, honorable members uh, will do will understand. I thought at the time when I, asked, I explained it, honorable members understood what I said. That that, that is the process of of of, of dealing. With a with a bill which has not yet been enacted by the president, 
If there are no other questions in relation to the presentation, thank you very much, Mr. Mafata. And we, Gigi, any comments before we... Is the teacher still around? I am here, Chair. Any here, comments? Thanks. Chair, thanks very much. I think from, from our side, just to make a point that we, <clears throat> we determined to engage everybody um, in all, all the changes that we're making at the compensation fund. However, there's one fundamental principle that we will not um, um, you know, shy away from. The changes that we are making from the compensation fund were necessitated by um, the issues that were identified by AG. And, and it is our responsibility as a department to make sure that we address those issues. And in the process of doing that, um, a number of the social, a number of the uh, stakeholders that, um, that transact with the compensation fund are going to be affected. Um, and, and as I indicated earlier on, we engage with everybody. And unfortunately, some of the decisions that we're taking are not going to be um, liked by people that we're transacting with. We have to make those decisions anyway. Um, and, and we will not be able to please everybody. We're doing all these things for the benefit of the for the benefit of the organization, and for the benefit of the people that are supposed to be serviced by the compensation fund. It is not for the benefit of the service providers. So I just wanted to make that point, uh, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Shakaza. Can you well, on the last uh, agenda item? Can you put it on for the for the committee? which is the committee program. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much, honorable members. Honorable members, we see that uh, that, is, that is our program. We were here today, and those are, who are continuing next week, up Mr. Sakaza, uh, we are continuing uh, next week. And uh, which uh, can go up again? I think where I want to, where I want, yeah, if you can stop there, where I want to, in this, uh, can you go up a bit and you will end there, up, up, up. Okay, okay. Uh, where I want to to is that to is that remember that uh, as members we have been consistently uh, raising uh, the, the the our 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 concern our discomfort on in terms of not not really being able to be aware uh, or be fully briefed on this added mandate, which is called employment in this term. And it was, it was, it, there was then a resolution taken in the last meeting before we rise that the Minister of Employment and Labor is to come and, uh, and, uh, and brief the committee. And when the date was then uh, identified 
by the office of the Swiss related to the to the to the to the to the ministry to the department to the ministry. Uh, they, it, they came back and said, uh, "Can we be accorded uh, uh, some more time? Uh, because this is not just a, a an issue that we can just can table, respond, and whatever. We need to gather uh, uh, very much information with the understanding that uh, it's a matter that we have been saying all along." In agreeing to the after consultation with the opposition parties, in, we agreed that uh, it must be postponed, but that postponement is not going to go beyond end of February. We said that categorically clear to the ministry, and that is why then the date is the 23rd. That date is should I say, cast in stone in terms of this matter. Deputy Minister, we are not taking this beyond the 23rd. If, if then, so we, I'm, I'm, I'm also requesting that all members, please there arise that Wednesday of the 23rd, so that we are, we are then going to be able to address this matter. I was just saying, you know, this issue of the pandemic is quite a challenge because it's one of those issues, those presentations that uh, one they've loved that they be physical. Then on the 23rd, I'm sorry, on the 1st uh, to the 2nd of March, we're going to have a strict plan. Uh, we are still communicating with the powers to be because we would like to do that uh, 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 physical. We, we, we are allowed, we can identify any place, any province, any town, wherever. So we are still, uh, it's pending, it's pending uh, the approval. Uh, the others, I think, are, are, are straightforward. We are to, Mr. Sakasa, Nyuka, Nyuka, we are to, we're having an oversight on the 28th so the 1st of April, we'll be having an oversight. We are still going to uh, have a, a pending an approval from the chief whip and the house chair. But can I, so for, for members to also, uh, for, for transparency and whatever, the, the, the office of the chair has identified two, two provinces but visiting one, I mean, two, two institutions, SEE. And the reason SEE is because we have to uh, uh, physically see what is happening there because within that SEE is one of those uh, branches of the or, of, or units of the Department of Employment and Labor that are, are, are critical. And, and crucial in ensuring of the assisting of the of the economy, but also us having to really see and then be able to assert our authority in terms of uh, departments utilize that in terms of whatever procure a, a furniture or in whatever, which is quite it will be quite in my view 
be quite affordable and it will also assist the finances of the country, but also assist this this the, 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 this entity this this branch to be able to be on 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 its feet. We know the challenges are not going to go into there. In the last two years, we have been uh, being presented with that. But in that, the office of the chair have also identified that we will go to to it will be it will be Kabeha and 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 uh, and and Emonte, which is Islander. But we will not only go there. To the, we will then take an opportunity of visiting the labor centers in two of these towns, which is Rebecca and 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 uh, and uh, and what and Eastern and and Islanda. So I'm, I'm 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 putting this so that if members have got an 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 an, 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 an issue or have some other. Uh, and we put them here. We, we just look into those, and then so that when we apply, we don't have to come back. But in principle, that is what then the office of the chair would like to put on this. So when you are adopting this, what we are to adopt this program, I would appreciate if members can just reflect on that. The other issues I think are. And matters that are straightforward in the in the in, the, in our program, uh, but uh, week ten, I would I would, I would appreciate if uh, if you can just uh, uh, reflect on that. Over to you, honourable members. In the absence of health. Um, thanks very much, Chair, for the um, detailed uh, explanation of our program. Um, Chair, it's just that I can't remember, but we once, um, as we once agreed about visiting um, SEEs, we also once touched the matter of visiting labor centers. Um, I, I, I don't know whether um, that can be covered or maybe we have to maybe identify as to which labor centers can be, can be visited, maybe based on um, what uh, 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 the complaints that we are receiving as committee members um, on um, the services and activities complaints uh, from the public. Are you still on? Yeah, uh, no, Chair. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, um, okay. We, we, we will we will visit labor centers in those two in those two areas. We'll visit labor centers that are located in peace. So we will either see will either start with, with going to a labor center in Islanda, then go to the SEE. And then when we're in PE, when we're in Kebeha, we'll go to the labor center in Kebeha and go to the SEE because both of these towns have have SEE uh, 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 
of whether factories or whatever, but they've also got uh, a labor centers. So we will, uh, I, I thought, I did re- reflect on that, that we will we'll, we'll visit SEE and labor centers in both those areas. Thank you very much. Can we then get a formal mover of the program? I see. Makubela. I saw Honorable Makubela's hand. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, sorry, it's network where I am. I move. Um, I I have I move the uh, uh, for the adoption of the program as 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 it was presented. Thank you. Can we get a seconder? Who is that one? Honorable Nontele. Yes, thank you, Chair. With the amendments, Chair, as you have made the amendments with regard to the visits to the uh, labor centers as well. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh... Any anybody who has got an at the contract review? No, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, honorable members. DG, uh, 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 I think you have uh, you you will be you'll be. I, I'm sure you'll then get the the program and the, the detailed uh, uh, itinerary when then the the time. When we are then preparing for that, is the DM still around? Yes, Chairperson, Honorable Chair, I'm here. Okay, uh, I can see the minister is not yet back. Any any closing? No, no. Thank thank you so much, uh, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members. Uh, actually, I thought by the time you adopting your minutes and other stuff, normally you would have released us at that point. But I want to thank uh, you, Chairperson, Honorable Chair, and Honorable Members uh, uh, for all the inputs that you, uh, we received from uh, Honorable selves. Um, and we know that sometimes we don't respond adequately to some of the issues. But uh, I think because of our relationship and our close proximity to the committee, I think now uh, honorable members are, are, are ready if ever they don't feel satisfied about what we have presented, we can submit uh, further inputs, uh, maybe in writing from uh, through the office of the DG uh, or any outstanding um, information that might not necessarily have satisfied honorable members of the committee. So we are uh, forever at your service, honorable members, and we we try by all means and we'll continue to to do better and and, and do our work diligently and 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 committing we are committing ourselves 
to forever cooperate with, with the committee um, and whichever information that the committee is looking forward to, we are prepared to present. And thank you so much for this opportunity, honorable members. Uh, thank you very much, TM. Uh, and uh, uh, we, the reason that we didn't, uh, the chair didn't uh, 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 excuse you is because we are going for an oversight, and we are to and and the department and the and the, and the ministry is to be aware that we are going for an oversight. So it was going to be important, and also you. You be as the ministry be exposed to the to the program, and, and as it is adopted, DG and the M and DG will appreciate. I think we said it early when we in the first term that when you are going to have programs, uh, in terms of how 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 the inspector general was outlining, which is quite a very. Uh, uh, what is it? It's quite a very good program. In inform us so that members of the portfolio committee who are residing closer to this to those areas are then able to are then able to go and and observe or participate uh, whatever. It, it it's very important that we be we be we be exposed to those so that when people or whoever wants to belittle or criticize the department, we are able to say, we have been physically there. This is what has transpired. And we are able, when we, we, we monitor your reports, we are able to say, but we were there, this didn't take place, or this took place, why is it that it's not in the report? So that's why we, I think at that time, we requested that please just inform to the the, the, the the office of the of the secretary of that. But thank you very much. I think I saw we saw those programs on TV. They were quite very quite uh, uh, good programs. I know that you are short staffed, but thank you very much. And at least we are we are happy and and confident that as the as the department, you are really doing your work. Having said that, uh, honorable members, until we meet again next week, uh, the committee stands adjourned. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much, honorable members. Bye. Bye. Michael, the junior, on the 10th, I want my chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Thank you so much, honorable members.